0: Is everything
1: all right? Uh-uh. A little nervous. It's just sometimes it takes a while for, um, oh. you know, inspiration to come. I prefer to do it standing. Oh. You don't have to stand, I mean. It's sometimes that... It's quite long. Uh,
0: and I'd like you to be comfortable. It's quite modern, what I do, and it may feel a little strange at first, but but I think if you're open, then, then you might enjoy it. Mm. I'm sure I will. really the tiger! Oh. Oh.
1: He's got a huge talent.
2: And welcome, 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 welcome to Best Film Ever, the podcast that does, I think, what it says in the tin. We go looking for the best film ever. My name is Ian. I'm Liam and basically Liam if we break this down to people who may not have heard this before is that uh, I don't know about 16 months ago uh, we we, we go see a lot of films together don't we Liam that's right we do yeah there we go and about 16 months ago I bought you a poster for Christmas that had like the hundred films we're supposed to watch before we die and we gave it a good try but we only got through about eight and We discovered a couple things number one we're not doing this enough, and number two, we should really be documenting this, and so therefore, for both reasons, I think a podcast was more or less born and Do you know what number episode we're on right now, liam uh twelve no, we're on number eight oh. <laughs> <laughs> but it's close to, but we've in essence we've matched our output from you know a year and a half in just a couple of months, and I think part of that's due to the uh due to the lockdown experience that we found I think we would have found reasons to to hang out and watch films anyway but I think I don't know I've very much enjoyed having my sunday nights lined up to do something like this Yeah it's been good Yeah I think so and today we have a special guest it's 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 weirdly it's the first time we've had someone who's been like we could say a listener though it's not just a listener it's our friend it's Debbie say hello Debbie
3: Hello, Debbie. (laughs) Very
2: nice. (laughs) And of course, we have our perma guests on uh, time. We we have Ellie. Hi. And we have Georgia. Hello. And on the docket today is Moulin Rouge. And Moulin Rouge, um, Debbie, you brought Moulin Rouge to us as Mm -hmm. your suggestion. Why don't you take a couple seconds and explain to us why out of all the films possible did you pick Moulin Rouge?
3: I think um, this is the only film I've ever seen in the cinema twice, um, I think within a week. Um, it came out in September 2001, so it was still in cinemas on my birthday. Um, so I went twice, I think my birthday week, with different groups of friends to see it. Um, and I just loved it so much. It's when I was seven, I was 17 at the time, so I was in that era of loving, singing, dancing, everything. And that sort of thing, I would go around my friends in the evenings and the afternoons and we would pretend to dress up and recreate the shows ourselves. So this was absolutely the show for us. Absolutely loved it. Got the D- the DVD as soon as it came out, got the CD as soon as it came out, and sung it every day I could in my mum's car.
2: So it's, I love it. I love it as a film, always have. That's a really interesting conversation. The movie you go and actually would pay to see in theatres twice. Uh Liam, anything you've actually gone and seen twice in cinemas?
0: Actually, Moulin Rouge. Yeah. I went four times in one week. What? <laughs> yeah. I was working in Jersey at the time. Okay. And uh I had a few nights off and I went to see it four times in a row. Whoa. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's insane. Georgia, anything you've ever seen twice in one week? Not one week, twice in a theater, sorry.
4: Um I'm trying to think. I think I saw the first Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them twice in cinema, um, only because I had two different sets of friends that wanted to see it, so I went a second time. Did
2: you find it easier to find the beasts the second time because you knew where they'd be hiding?
4: Well, yeah, I think it was kind of a giveaway. I think it might have been cheating a little bit, so uh, we we don't tell too many people about that. (laughs) Um, But no, I
1: I don't think I've seen anything else in cinema twice that I can think of at the moment, no. Ellie? I don't think so. If I have done it again, it would just be because of having two different groups of friends that want to go and see the same thing.
2: Now, Liam, you and I did go see the same movie in cinemas twice, but it was like eight months apart. We saw Infinity War in theaters twice. That's right. Once yes, when it first yeah. came out, and then the second time, our good friends at the Majestic and Kings Lynn—God love the Majestic and Kings Lynn. <laughs> The, whoop, whoop. whoop whoop indeed. Hurry back <laughs> hurry back soon, guys. Uh they uh did a special double bill when Endgame came out. So we sat there. We were in order to guarantee ourselves tickets for Endgame, we basically got sold a two-for-one deal. So we went to the cinema at like, I don't know, what was it, Liam, like nine thirty? Because in order for us to see uh Endgame at midnight, we had to go see Infinity War at 930. So there it That's was that. Right, yeah. I mean, the only other film I've seen twice was Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that twice, and that will link to our film today in some capacity. But mm-hmm. before we fully dive in, um, let's talk a little bit about musicals because Moulin Rouge is the first musical that we've actually tackled. Um, and as such, I mean, musicals can be divisive. Moulin Rouge only scores like a 7.4, I think it is. On IMDb? Yeah. yeah, and the critics were about 76% on it. But, I mean, the critics I'm not surprised by because there's a certain level of whatever. But I think the minute you put songs in something like a, a movie, the, the populace kind of goes, eh. When I first saw Moulin Rouge, my sister got it for Christmas and she really, really wanted it. And uh, she started playing it at Christmas on Christmas Day evening or something like that. And I was probably all of 22 or something like that going... No, I'm way too manly in my, you know, traditional manly sort of ways that I have to watch this. It's a, it's, 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 it's a musical, and people sing stuff, and no, I don't really. But I like you and McGregor. I do like you and McGregor. I'm not, I'm no, I'm not feeling this. And then about 15 minutes in, I was like totally in. I was like, I wish I'd seen the first 10, 15 minutes because I was like, this is actually really. At that time, I was like, I really am enjoying this. But we've all got experience. I mean, we all do musical theater in some capacity, and we're all in a show. we singing in it about, I don't know, seven months ago, maybe? Maybe less than that?
1: Well, it's how we all know each other.
2: It is, how, it is kind of the commonality by which we all sort of bumped into each other in this crazy life.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So obviously, we're all okay. But do you think it's harder for movies to capture that same magic than a musical does? No. No? You say that no? Debbie, you nodding your head. Notes. Debbie, you in your head yes. So why don't you go yeah. ahead so I can agree with you in a second?
3: I think. <laughs> 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 it depends on what the music is. I mean, this film has got such a wide range of music and musical artists and the way it's done. I think anyone could be pulled into this. Um, but things like Mamma Mia, people will just go, nah, Abba. <clears throat>
2: Don't
3: even want to,
2: they won't even contemplate it. So like I think Abbott. it will divide the masses. You really have to like Abbott. Well, I like you. Well, if you have really <laughs> to like Abbott. That's a good question. You see, the thing I have about musicals is that some of them do it really well. And I think Moulin Rouge is, is, is one of them. And the music is, is a help and not a hindrance. I also think that, uh, like, Chicago is another great example of it. But you have films like Mamma Mia, where, in essence, the problem with movie musicals is that in order to be in a musical, you have to act like you're trying to reach the back row. So everything has to be so over the top, and it's why, like, it was like, this is the best day of our lives, and that whole high school musical-esque kind of enthusiasm, which doesn't work when you put it on a movie screen because, to a degree, acting on a movie is often about nuance and not about everything being dialed up to 11, which can be the problem um, and can be part of these people go, oh, I don't like musicals. It's a bit too much. So, you know, things like Wicked and West Side Story and Hamilton that are all coming to the big screen in the next year and a half, we hope, mm-hmm. Um, we, we we hope with that, you know, they'll come out okay, but those are three which are all about everything's big and bad. Liam.
0: Yeah, I think what um, drives a good musical forward in a film is the music. And if the music relates to what's going on in the scene, I think things like Mamma Mia doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's just songs just shammed together, where mm-hmm. with Rouge, when you watch the medley and stuff, it is driving forward the story, and that's what most musicals that are successful do. You know, So the music drives it rather than just there for a reason, for no reason.
2: Yeah, that's a good question. And let's take a look as we go in, because Moulin Rouge is a jukebox musical. And so let's see, kind of, do the songs feel naturally placed in? So let's jump in a little bit of context corner, and then we'll go ahead and look at the film. So uh, Moulin Rouge, 2001, it came out, as we said. It was shot at Fox Studios in Sydney, Australia. Interesting wow. enough. It's based, I mean, um, Baz Lerman, the director, kind of said he got inspired of it when he went and saw, he was in India, and he saw this theatrical production, and he said it was so over the top, I imagine very much like what the final uh, number ends up being, or the final show ends up being, that he felt that he somehow learned Hindi uh, while he was there, because he seemed to understand everything just through the um, medium of music. It took him over two years to clear all the musical rights, to get all the songs. And um, some of them were even a little bit, had some provisals we'll talk about as we go through. Um, it was nominated for eight Oscars. Uh, was uh, nominated for Best Picture. was nominated for Best Actress. It was not nominated for Best Director, to which Whoopi Goldberg, when she was hosting the Oscars, went, oh, so I guess that one just directed itself then, which I thought was brilliant. Because if there's... We have something that we teach about in in film and media studies, especially film studies, called auteur theory. And that's when, like, the director puts their fingerprint or their thumbprint on a film. And if you're not looking at this and going, this is, like, the most Baz Luhrmann film there ever was. If you remember Baz Luhrmann before, uh, this is very much right up, you know, it, it has the look and feel of a Baz Luhrmann film. What do you think about that, Liam?
0: Well, the thing is, again, with Baz Luhrmann, he's not very prolific. So when he directs a movie he directs it yeah. and you nurse it down. So he's not like someone who's going to churn out a movie every year. He's someone who picks his movies and he's heart and soul goes into every single one. Absolutely.
2: We just had like two years to clear song yeah. licenses. Like that's not someone who's just having a job. That's someone no. who's absolutely, it's a passion project. And I was talking to yeah. a friend about it online today and the general conversation went, you know, these guys who are visual storytellers, of whom Baz Lerman very much is a visual storyteller. Uh, there's something about that style which sometimes can get lost on me. As as we joke around, I'm a little, I'm, I'm very much where's the story, where's the story? But uh, Lerman manages to take that crazy, over the top, acid trip visual kind of style, mix it musically with all sorts of anachronistic, strange things, and yet has the story to back it up and ties it together. I think, really, really nicely. Um, it won two Oscars for art direction and for costumes. On uh, the BBC have called it the 53rd best film of the 21st century. And the general consensus is that it is Marmite. Not Marmite and peanut butter, but it is Marmite. Critics, <laughs> either you either love this film or you hate this film. But I don't think there's a whole lot of room for the in-between. And as of 26th of July 2019, Moulin Rouge became a, a musical on Broadway. Mm-hmm. and sort of everything going yeah. full circle then cuz now we have the fi- we had a film that was about putting on a show now we have a show that was based on a film putting on a show so we have It'll that, be
0: interesting to see how that turns out and whether that'll have the same uh feeling as the
2: movie Yeah, yeah. Know, they, so well. they got the licenses to all the songs but again um like George and I are currently in a production in Chicago we hope Hopefully and, and, still. and I've seen Chicago saying next- Week. Playing. It's supposed Woo. to be playing next week, but it's yeah, unfortunately it's not going on next week. But um, having seen it before, I found it really difficult in that regard to capture the nuance from the film on the time I went and saw it live. I was sitting there going, You've really got to know what you're doing to make that seem believable. And it wasn't quite that way. So, here we are. Let's get into the film with our deep dive. So We open with a live shot of, well, live to to us anyway, of a conductor directing the 20th Century Fox theme, and we quickly go, this is going to play with the rules of, it is a show, if it's a movie, how aware are the characters of the camera and things of that nature, and we get a little bit of an introduction that it's Paris 1900, and Ewan McGregor is Christian, our leading man, but he wasn't the only guy considered, obviously, to play And Baz Luhrmann did get on the blower and was talking to his friend Leo from Romeo and Juliet. And as the the story would have it, Leo was brought into a room, and they got to a piano, and they banged out some notes. And Leo, as he describes it, says, he thinks it was like Lean On Me they made him play, a sing, or something like that. And he got as far as the high note on Lean On Me, and apparently Baz cut him off and went... Okay, Leo, I don't think there's much point in us continuing this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And uh, Jake Gyllenhaal was also attached, not attached, but but was brought uh-huh. in, as was Heath Ledger. But Heath Ledger oh. was not given the part, not because he couldn't sing, he was brilliant, but because they felt he was too young to be paired up against Nicole Kidman. Oh,
1: really?
2: And a number of years later, when Baz Luhrmann made Australia, that made Heath Ledger say no to Baz Luhrmann, because he remembered mm handbags oh you know what i've never seen australia but i hear i hear oh, I maybe have. it was the right call
1: i've actually seen that i one. hear australia <laughs> is an
2: is just an overblown mess of a movie oh i liked it you liked it well there yeah we go. it was
1: quite a while ago well, though, so i'd be interested to watch it again so
2: and then we get our first shot of a very decrepit derelict rundown abandoned moulin rouge and i actually did not know what moulin rouge meant until i did some research on this <laughs> Does anybody want anybody know what Moulin Rouge means in French? Red windmill. It's the Red Windmill. It's the Red Windmill. Which, yeah. ne- once you hear that, you go, well, now I just feel stupid. Because <laughs> 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 Rouge obviously means red, and the windmill is front and center. But I've seen this movie, I don't know how many times, and never once gone. Why is it called Moulin Rouge? It just was. What? It, why are the Arctic Monkeys the Arctic Monkeys? Because they are. So I just went, oh, it's Moulin Rouge. Why are the Arctic
1: Monkeys the Arctic Monkeys?
2: It's just the name, isn't it? Oh, okay. It's not, they're not actually, like, monkeys from, like, scandinavia or something like that
1: i thought you were meaning there was some kind of no, like no, hidden just, meaning behind just these NX.
2: things that you accept and it becomes that you know why is oasis called oasis because they are i mean you hear it about three times and then you go oh that's the name and it stops oh. being is it a good name or not this, this also, our
0: um,
4: podcast lasts two hours come on guys
2: <laughs> also, talking about
0: the, the singing yeah nicole kidman uh also the same year did something stupid with Robbie Williams.
2: Yes, she did. The single for Come What May came out first and then something stupid was later that year. So she had a very good yeah, year right. trying to cross mm. over as a singer and chose her songs and her partners for it very well, I thought. Yeah. But enough of her let's go back to Christian, shall we? In nineteen hundred. Uh, we get a little bit of exposition about his dad didn't want him to go there because of the place of sin, but we learned that um Christian is a Bohemian. He's there in the pursuit of beauty and passion, and freedom, and love. And the crux becomes, he's infatuated with the idea of love, but he's never fallen in love before. Yeah. And so he goes to Paris to find, well, to find love, to find inspiration, to do something. And this is where we now have some cross cuts between it's 1899, and Christian is just arriving. So he's narrating, as he types and narrates, he's telling us the story he's typing out. And we see a much different looking Moulin Rouge. But just before we go there, did anybody notice the giant sign that said L'Amour on top of? Mm. Do you... Yeah. Have you seen that That's before? Our Have you seen it before? I it's feel like I know.
4: My trivia, so I know it. Oh, uh, you know it? <laughs>
2: well, Georgia, why don't you tell us where it's from then?
4: It is also featured in our good friend Baz Luhrmann's uh, Romeo and Juliet. It is. It is the same sign.
2: So on the beach, there is... It's the same logo. It's not literally the same sign, I think, So I think this one's got the color scheme reversed a bit. But it's the Coca-Cola font with L'Amour written instead of that. So it's a, if, you're, if you're paying attention, it's a little bit of the Baz Luhrmann universe coming back at you. Mm-hmm. Oh, awesome. And so... um christian's just minding his own business when as he puts it the narcoleptic argentinian falls through his roof and into his apartment which is might I'm, be georgia this might be the greatest sense of movies got a movie there ever was
1: <laughs> absolutely because yeah how,
2: how can we get him to meet them i know what will happen let's have a narcoleptic argentinian fall through the roof and that's how is- do we
4: start this film hmm i know
2: and that is the name of his character. I went and looked so him up. Say,
4: I was
1: just going to say, I did the yeah. same thing. Because I was
2: looking him up for, for a later part in the film, and I went, what's written down here? And he had to like it was like, it gets cut off on the Google page. I'd like go like down the treasure trail to find, no, no, it is the narcoleptic Argentinian is his character's name. And he's actually Polish. He's not Argentinian by nature. But... Such is. And so this becomes the crazy way. I think also at this point we get forget logic in the storytelling. If we want something to happen, we're just going to make it happen. Because at no point again are they ever above Christian's apartment in the rest of the film for any purpose, it felt like.
3: Yes, they are. What? How are they? (laughs) When they have the party later on, everyone's having the party upstairs and
1: downstairs in the apartment.
2: He's, I right. he's trying to write. I don't remember this party. Oh, yes, yeah. I do. I do remember That's this party. That's because we're not
1: really in the party because he says, I didn't want to go to the party because yes. I was just yeah. thinking about Satine. That's <laughs> so it's right. It's just upstairs. It is the upstairs of the building.
2: Well, there we go. Look, it's only, uh, what, 18 minutes in and I'm already wrong once. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> so,
3: Hashtag
4: good it was wrong. Good it was wrong.
2: <laughs> um, so uh, they convince him that he should help out with the show and – He gets introduced to, is this where he drinks the absinthe? I think it is. Absinthe makes the heart grow fonder, one might say. And so he has the absinthe. And this is very similar to the way that Romeo in Romeo and Juliet takes a pill. Now, I think it's supposed to imply it's acid or something like that. But he trips, and it's exactly the same thing. like No one does an acid trip sequence like Baz Luhrmann. Because I think actually, you know, it's kind of hard to kind of represent what uh, intoxication or an altered state is visually with a camera with, through the eyes of people who aren't drunk. I mean, how do you represent that visually? Mm. And I think is very good at it.
1: Just, just make Kylie Minogue a fairy. I, this is interesting. Chuck <laughs> her in as a cameo. It was
2: not originally written for Kylie Minogue. That song nope. was originally written for somebody else. Debbie, you're, you're shaking your head. Do you know who it was? I'm shaking
1: my head, but I can't remember.
3: It's one I haven't written down. Georgia, why don't you tell don't us never. this one? It was originally written
4: for Ozzy Osbourne. Who is also oh. the voice of the fairy? Once she actually speaks at the end.
2: Once her eyes turn red at the end, the then, it becomes, then it becomes then it becomes Ozzy's scream at the end. So yeah. it's a really interesting back and forth. And I thought, okay, at this point we're going all rules of logic are kind of off. <laughs> that visual storytelling is going to take over. when I first watched it, I kind of went. Well, the second time because the first time I didn't see the first fifteen minutes. I went, "Whoa!" And it's been a long. <laughs> I have not seen this film in easily fifteen years. Oh, easy, really? Easy, easy fifteen years. Yeah. Wow. So.
3: That's not true. This was one of our film nights.
2: And this is maybe where we need to do Is For the most part, I mean, this whole thing kind of starts. Debbie and her husband, Richard, used to host film nights at theirs. <laughs> yes. Before they had a beautiful baby boy uh, who's getting very big. Uh, oh, my b- gosh. B- 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 before that, we used to get together on a Sunday night or a Saturday night. If it was mm-hmm. nothing went on, we used to watch films. and Was Moulin Rouge one of them?
4: It was. I don't yes. remember this That's at all. the first time I watched it.
2: Oh, okay. Hey. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So there so we go. <laughs> uh, and then he makes his way over to the Moulin Rouge because the deal is the little his little um, Toulouse, who is um, John John Leguizamo, Le on his knees.
4: He's based off of a real person that actually worked in the Moulin Rouge, and the deal
2: yeah. was in order. to be, he and John Leguizamo, of course, played Tybalt in Romeo and Juliet. So again, we see kind of um, Lerman bringing his peeps round with him every time he goes. And, uh, but I thought a brilliant job, but working on his knees and with the braces. So happens so badly. He almost like lost like his spine as a result of this. He required intense mm-hmm. physical therapy afterwards for months oh and said that the doctors that the filmmakers hooked him up with saved his spine. So if he's well, going to say that, I'll take that. But yeah, I mean, kind of a severe dedication to your work. And most of the time you wore yeah. socks that would like green screen away, but other times they would, you know, find a way to hide them in various ways. Yeah.
4: He also was sometimes replaced by a body double. Um, so the bottom yes. half of him was actually a, someone who was that high. Mm. Um, and in that last scene, um, during that, he is squatting the whole time. So that wasn't done on his knees. He was squatting mm. the whole time. Hence the reason he was in such such a damaged shape. Do you mean when he was
1: at the, the, sit- end. the sitar at the end?
2: When he, uh, sitar yes. when he was up, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: So, I love that costume.
2: And then yeah. we get... So basically, we find out as well, because we're introduced to... And I'm trying to think what the guy's name is. I don't have it written down here yet. Oh, what is it? It is... Harry Ziegler. Yes, Harold Zidler. Harold
3: and, Ziegler.
2: And Harold Zidler, And we find out that Harold Zidler is negotiating with a duke to help turn the Moulin Rouge into a proper theatre. But at the same time, Toulouse is saying, I can get you, as a you, to Christian, alone with... Um, Satine as well to pitch the story and so we have two characters who are going to become polar opposites the duke and Satine not Satine the duke and Christian and they're both meant to believe they're going to spend some time with Satine alone the duke because he thinks he's going to have sex with her Christian because he thinks he's going to pitch her of a story because she is the star and if she's on board they can get it past Harold and there's a great little mix-up with some handkerchiefs when they're waiting in the crowd watching the show Where Satine then mistakes Christian for the Duke. Mm -hmm. And this is our setup. So they go in, and Satine believes she's taking Ewan McGregor back to her bedroom on top of the elephant, or in the elephant, in the elephant.
3: elephant. In the elephant.
2: Strange. In the elephant, (laughs) so she can bed him. Whereas um, Ewan McGregor believes he's going to um, seduce, he's going to read, read poetry. But just before that, we have her performing. I'd be, I'd be very much mistaken if I didn't bring up Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. And uh. it's Nicole Kidman's emergence to our screens as Satine. And she mm-hmm. is shot in this blue, blue light, which Basil Luhrmann shot her with. Uh, because he felt the blue on her skin so pale that the blue bouncing off her skin gave her an angelic glow. And that's why anything that happened in the Moulin Rouge, she is bathed in blue light blue. for that purpose, because yeah. she is, like in this case, a diamond.
1: That's interesting, because I thought it made her look ill, and I thought it was like interesting yeah. foreshadowing oh, for yeah. the end.
2: But no, apparently it was because he thought... it And she does glow with it. She is yeah. shot with a lot of blue later on, though, as well. So mm. maybe there's something to uh, that. that
1: uh, opening
4: line as well is... Uh, the French are proud to die for love, which uh,
2: um, is quite a
3: symbolic line for the rest of the story. And
2: there's a lot of winks and nudges to the whole show throughout.
3: Oh, there's a lot of foreshadowing, yeah.
2: yeah. And so we have Diamonds are Girl's Best Friend, which is mixed with Material Girl, which is really funny because in the original video for Material Girl, Madonna does a ripoff of Marilyn Monroe's Diamonds yeah. are Girl's Best Friend video. Yeah. And now we see both of them coming together. Little fact, facto, she got in a couple of accidents during this performance yeah. <laughs> um, and tweaked her knee so badly that she had to be in a wheelchair at like three in the morning. And they had to get this one shot. So there's a shot where she goes, a real actress, when she's being talked to or looking in the mirror or something like that. And when she's actually been shot doing that, she's in the wheelchair in that moment doing that scene.
4: Wow. I believe. Most of the close-up shots of her throughout the film are filmed with her in a wheelchair because she was that badly injured throughout it. She also also pulled out of a film the next year because she was too badly injured to do it.
2: Panic Room, I believe it was. Which eventually went to, I think, Jodie Foster? I think I think I never saw it. Is, yeah.
1: So was she yeah. injured? She also she...
3: broke several ribs in the film as well. Yeah, including um, one
2: when they tried to do a corset up or something. Put the corset on. Yeah. yeah. Oh
1: my god. She... she usually took about half an hour to get
2: on. And she told Graham Norton it because she... it was the, like the corset made her waist eighteen inches. Yeah. So I'm just like, jeez. But I will say this: Nicole Kidman never looked better to me. She was gorgeous in this role.
0: She was. And do you know something else? Yeah. It was the third movie she did after splitting up with Tom Cruise.
2: The first or third? First. Oh, was it really the first?
0: First movie she did after that at the time, yeah, Tom yeah.
2: Cruise has this thing where he marries actresses and then doesn't... Well, they stop acting. I'm not going to say he doesn't <laughs> let them act because I, I, don't, I don't know. But it just seems that really he marries these women who are all prolific actresses and then they stop acting. And then as soon as they divorce him, they go back to acting.
0: And I feel like she took the gloves off for this and really threw herself into it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I never saw Eyes Wide Shut, which makes me like most people, I think. But, you know... Yeah, it was good. This was kind of her coming out party, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely.
3: Can I just make a jump back? Yeah, go ahead. Because you've missed so many pieces of good music already.
2: <laughs> go ahead.
3: I'm like David Bowie in the opening number. Mm-hmm. He actually sang that one. And then we had, um, what have we got? Fat Boy Slim, Nirvana. Obviously, Marilyn Monroe. Sound of Music.
2: <laughs> Nirvana's really I mean, interesting if I could actually... Great.
0: Debbie, the reason we skip a few bits is because the film is so long. <laughs> but that's okay. we end up doing—four hours talking. <laughs> because,
2: because the Nirvana one's really interesting. Because Courtney Love yeah. was on the short list to play yeah. Satine. Now, if you and think two people of people who are more promises. opposite than the two of them, like I don't think it's—I uh, can imagine it. However, they needed Courtney Love to sign off on um, the use of "Smells Like Teen Spirit." And so he had to say no, but also say, but can we still have the song? And then even more so was originally Marilyn Manson was filmed performing Smells Like Teen Spirit. But Courtney Love had some sort of creative control, and she and Manson don't get on for some reason. And so she x made it with six days before it was supposed to open. So they had to film a bunch of stuff or someone else singing the lead in that six days before and edit it into the movie and get it out. Oh, my God. Ouch. And I believe I don't know what the song was but she um didn't take it so well that she lost out to uh Nicole Kidman and that whole next tour she did with Hole she uh, dedicated some song um I'm guessing somewhat ironically to Nicole Kidman for the entirety of a tour because <laughs> she did not take well to losing out on that role but can you imagine Courtney Love in that role? She has
0: not got an angelic look about
2: her. No she doesn't. She she it's would be she would be like I don't, she would be the hard-edged um, you know, prostitution has made her a bitter person kind of feel yeah. to her. Whereas I think Satine yeah. needed to be the diamond in the rough. Yeah. Yeah. yeah
3: because okay. the other dancers are the are the nasty ones in, in points.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nini, Nini's the nasty one. Yeah. So she was, you know, she is the one who was better than all this. I think the audience has to yeah. believe she's better than all this. Yeah. Well, then we get, oh, Georgia, yes. Uh, The
4: song she dedicated to Nicole Kidden was Miss World, which is a song about a self-loathing beauty queen. Um, So (laughs) there's that.
2: There we go. Thank Ah. you. Fact check corner comes through again, and so we go to the the uh, the elephant, which I never thought it did, and we've got this double entendre happening throughout because Cecitine thinks she's about to have sex, but you and McGregor, who is out Hugh Granting Hugh Grant with how <laughs> bumbling and innocent and boyish he's being, he's just really confused, and like, oh shucks, I've never seen a woman before, and so he doesn't get any of the cues she's picking up, and so. She says, "Do you want to have some some food?" And he goes, well, "I'd rather just kind of get it over with." And she goes, "Oh," and he goes, "Well, should we should we sit on the bed or so? Should, should we should we go on the bed?" And he goes, "Well, I, I prefer to do it standing up." And because these people <laughs> don't use proper nouns and only say things like it, we can have all these jokes. And she then goes.
1: It's quite long, and I'd like you to be comfortable. It's quite long, and I'd like
2: (laughs) you to be comfortable.
1: And and it's quite modern what I do, but I think
2: you'll enjoy it. What I do is quite modern, (laughs) but if you give it a chance, I think you'll enjoy it. And so... um, (laughs) And then he goes, she pulls him in the bed and he sort of starts reciting his poetry and she starts writhing around thinking he gets off on saying the poetry, actually. And this is what she needs to do because she's told that you need to please the Duke Duke sexually or else the Moulin Rouge could fold. Mm -hmm. And this is for everybody's job. So she's doing what she's... Now, if we think about it and take it away from the laughter, and we said it must have been a really fun scene for her to do. But if we take it outside of this, I mean, the, the degree in which she feels that she needs to physically satisfy this man for the sake of everybody who is depending on her doing this successfully. I mean, there's, there's a damaged character underneath all that. Oh, but as she's writhing around and shouting out that she wants more poetry, I'm really trying to do this as <laughs> appropriately as possible for a podcast. <laughs> But I
0: call this the yes-yes moment, the Meg y- Ryan yes-yes moment.
2: Yes, this is basically she saw Meg Ryan and When Harry Met Sally and said, hold my beer. And <laughs> and then he comes out with the first line of, I think, if I'm being honest, to me this is the first iconic song of the film, which is and McGregor doing Elton John's Your Song. Yeah. And he's like, you know, my gift is my song. Oh, a very different arrangement and very, oh, it's very Moulin Rouge, for lack of a better word, isn't it? It's yeah. very bohemian and big and... Um and she's transfixed by this. And when the song's over, she falls she remarks how she can't believe she's fallen in love with a talented, young, handsome does she say rich? She says Duke for sure. Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: And that's the bit where you find out it's not he's not actually the Duke. What do you mean he's not the Duke? And then wouldn't you know it? The Duke shows up.
1: (laughs) Can we we just And it turns into a pantomime? Yes it does. Can we just take a moment to acknowledge how creepy it is that the room has a massive open window and that Zidler has a telescope to spy in on them? Here's. Yeah, but come on now.
2: There was something I wasn't sure about, which is this. When he makes the joke about how he's got. uh, how his poem is quite long, Mm -hmm. and she kind of goes, oh moments later she like unzips his trousers Ooh, big he's and, a and calls talent. him big boy and then the guy's outside go, oh he's got a huge talent!" like somehow the audience needed an assertion that yes ewan mcgregor <laughs> has a large penis because and
3: earlier in the scene when they were um doing the sound of music bit yeah the um unconscious argentinian shoves his hand on his crotch and goes he's got a huge talent Not nothing like that nothing Is like that like it's no, yeah it's like
2: talent yeah and so um we get through that the 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 Duke comes in and all of a sudden now they have to cover because um, Christian's still in the room. They're trying to get Christian out of the room. Then he can't get out of the room because everybody's outside and they can't see him go. But if he's exposed, pun not intended, um, then the whole deal falls apart. And so the only way that can happen is eventually they, um, the, the Duke leaves under the promise that on opening night we will sleep together. And that is the long-term goal. We will put off sex until opening night. That's how they're going to keep the Duke on the hook. And he comes back in a couple seconds later to find, of course, Christian and Satine in each other's arms in bed.
1: It is because she's fainted, though, to be fair. Yeah, she's passed out True. from her condition.
2: <laughs> you know, earlier it would have been legit, but <laughs> yeah. in this case, it's totally innocent.
3: The bit before, it's so funny because she just passes out and then you and McGregor's trying to lift her yeah, in you know, this...
2: That's
1: ridiculous right. pose oh that's the part <laughs> where is looking through the telescope and jim broadbent
2: <laughs> is looking through the telescope and of course he just <laughs> sees some guy in a suit kind of like it looks like he's, he's just right thrusting <laughs> really Ooh. and so he's thinking yes things are going which again if you take the humor out of it this is this is quite tragic actually what, what what's happening here uh jim broadbent it took him two hours to get into that fat suit every single oh. day i yeah.
3: love and, in this film he's Brilliant.
2: Jim Broadbent said that he based his performance on Baz Luhrmann. So he's right. doing like a Baz Luhrmann impression as he's doing the show. Wow. So I thought that was quite that was quite interesting. I always like it when sort of things come self referential or a bit like that. Yeah. So Incredible. yeah. Yeah. And then uh, we have so then in order to get themselves out of this compromising situation when the Duke comes back in and finds them in each other's arms, they say that they're going over the show in which case they then have to do like an elevator pitch of what the show is going to be like and it is the worst thinly veiled elevator pitch as to what's actually happening basically they just lay out what is actually happening except for rather than say there's a rich Duke they say it's a rich Maharaja and then rather than say he's a writer he's a sitar player outside of that it's pretty much exactly what's going on and this tells us here okay the Duke is is stupid is basically the message here and he, and, he, and he buys it. And we need him to buy it for the movie to take place. But um, the guy who played the, the the Duke, though, I thought he was really good at being kind of, there wasn't a redeeming quality about him. and I thought that was all right. None.
3: I, I
1: loved him because I hated him. Yeah,
3: I think yeah. so.
2: Yeah. He did the right job, didn't he?
1: He
3: really, he really
2: Richard, did.
1: Roxburgh.
2: Yes, did Richard Roxburgh. Yes, it is Richard Roxburgh.
1: The first time when he sings in this as well, there's the a oh. little. It's a little bit funny. This feeling inside. It's oh, he repeats so the bad. lines. Yes, it's so so bad that it's good. <laughs> and
2: yeah, I think as an audience, you feel almost like dirty yourself because you're like, oh. Yeah. Well, because yeah. the problem is at first, uh, of course, Christian sings it to Satine. Then mm. Satine, to save herself sings it to the Duke and we're like "Ooh, that feels a bit creepy to me and then he sings it back to her, and you're just like I need to take a shower because yeah. this is this is just like filthy like no no and poor Christian has to sit there and listen to everybody else sing his song which isn't his song even though it's called your song it's Elton John's song we're, we're all we're all over the place here um but in spectacular spectacular which uh was was a great number very, you I know, love that. ADHD, love that. uh, to the nines. Oh, so much. But the Duke does ask, and in the end, should someone die? Yeah. And I'm like, oh, movie, that's not fair. I've got that written down as <laughs> oh, well. Oh, that's rough.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and it's
3: kind of I ends... also... Go ahead. Sorry, and um, the, whole, the whole way through this film, I love the fact that they've put so much extra, um, Foley work in there. So, like oh, when yeah. he says, in the end, should someone die, there's, and it's all the heads moving. And when they're dancing with the skirts, there's those sounds. And it, it really pushes it. it. it's so over the top. It's just so immersive.
2: Yeah, and this is Baz Lerman. I mean, it's not about making a, a realistic story. It's about what can we yeah. do to it. We're not gonna pretend you're not watching a film. From the start, we'll Ooh. have a conductor as it opens up. Never forget you're watching a film. Yeah. And that's kind of his style. But yeah, I, I really curtain, appreciated that. The
1: curtains close I, I over love it at all
2: of the that. end as yeah. well. As so to start to finish. So that's kind of act one. And you know the movie was two hours long. It spent just about one third of it through act one. I went all right, decent. Not bad. And then we get to a little bit of a cutaway. Yes, there's, there's, there's a party, but uh, Christian doesn't want to go because he's so in love with Satine. And then Satine just decides, I, I, you know what? It's been like 30 seconds since someone sang a song. So I'm going <laughs> to sing I'll Fly Away. And all this does yeah. is it gives Christian a reason to look up and go over to the elephant. That's the only reason why this song exists.
0: I thought it but was again, nice. To- notice it's very Romeo and Juliet again. Mm -hmm. yeah there's her up on top of the elephant and him below yeah it is that's good yeah Yeah. yeah,
2: it is very Romeo Romeo she
1: she gets to put the big red dress on again because she had it on for like five seconds
3: (laughs) yes she did
2: I have a real
1: gripe about this dress because she's you see how much effort she's going to to get get into it with someone like lacing her up in the corset before she goes to meet you know the duke supposedly and then when she actually gets into the room she's in a black dress and she hasn't done anything in the red dress And it's like, where did that come from? And then suddenly after all of this stuff, where she's supposed to be alone and not needing to entertain anyone anymore, she's back in the red dress again. And it's like, why would you go to the effort to put that on?
2: (laughs) Okay, Liam. So while Debbie and Ellie talk about the importance of dresses in this movie, I'm going to give you a different question. Okay, buddy? Christian then goes up to Satine and basically gives her the, you should love me. You should love yeah. me. Don't be jaded. You should love me. Love is a many splendid thing. Love lifts us up where we belong. All we need is love, and goes through all those. Th- he did it earlier in the film, but he gives him again. Christian has never been in love, so is he the not the worst guy to be making this speech? Yeah, because yeah. he's never received. It. So he's <laughs> going on. Whereas you get, you get. Um, he sounds like a hopeless romantic. He does. Yeah, he says he's never been in love. Exactly. Whereas you get Satine, who sold love, if you will, and therefore oh, yes. is is done with the whole thing. And if she knew, would go, kid, you you have no idea what you're, what you're talking about. But we do get one of easily the musical highlights of the whole film, which is the Elephant Love Medley, which is so called... We, which was called, we've cleared a bunch of songs. What should we do? Just throw <laughs> them all in one. <laughs> <laughs> Just make sure they all have the word love in there. Georgia. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Just think, I just wanted you to take a guess. How many songs do you think are actually in there?
2: In in the Elephant Love Perfect. Medley or in the whole show? In the Elephant
4: Love Medley, how many songs mm. are smashed into that piece?
2: Perfect. I'm going to say 11. I'm going to go higher still and say 14. Nine.
4: 13 hey! is what I've got. Oh. Yeah. Go. Yeah, yeah. Lots and lots of songs in there. Can you all name one? Go on, name one each. Oh, okay. All you need
2: is love. Silly little love songs. Yep. Yeah. Love lifts um, us up where heroes. we belong. Heroes. Yeah. Uh, all you need is love. Yeah.
3: Um, I will always love you.
2: Yeah. In the name of love.
3: Yeah.
2: That was you oh, too. So that's, that's how I knew that one. <laughs> uh, oh, I could see if I heard it. I could. I could feel with one. I one could sing into the, next the whole one. thing.
1: But... Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just that,
2: that idea. We don't yeah.
1: have time for that.
2: City love song. One of them. That was the first one I did, <laughs> buddy. Yeah. yeah. Oh. But you look around, you tell me that it isn't so. What's wrong with that? Don't
3: leave me this way.
2: Yeah. So yeah. lots of them, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, which ones did we miss, George? Anything you want to give us one that we missed, maybe?
4: Um, you missed a song from by Kiss. I was made for loving you. I was made for, for loving you. you. yep. That's in there. Can't sing too much. Else... <laughs> um. Uh, I think you got most of the rest of them. Uh, Lovers' game by Chris Isaac. Yeah, I don't know that one. Um, and then Up Where We Belong and Love Is Like Oxygen by Sweet. Are they so, any other ones I've found? So, um,
2: at this point, uh, they are harnessed onto that elephant because they actually were on top, but this wasn't some trick we on a platform. They're actually on an elephant like 30 feet in the air, so they oh are harnessed God. in. So, and they're out there for a couple of days, I think just doing this song nonstop.
3: There's a lovely, um, I was watching some of the extras on the DVD because I'm that kind of person. And they, after they built this elephant, they had four days to film Oh wow! because that they had to get out of the sound stage. Oh, okay. And there's a little, there's a little bit of filming in there, which is so heartbreaking is when the bulldozer or literally thing comes in and demolishes oh. the
2: elephant.
3: And it's, horrible (laughs) they literally just get this crane thing and smash it to pieces
2: see they over they overran their schedule and so at the end they got kicked out of the soundstage because Mm. star wars episode two attack of the clones (laughs) was about to go on starring ewan mcgregor (laughs) So he just kind of showed up the next day, probably to the same, you know, dressing room and just walked in and went, We've redecorated the place, haven't you? (laughs) There
1: you go. That must be so surreal.
2: They picked up a couple extra shots in Spain, but I was watching as he's doing the aging scenes and he's doing like later day Christian, he's got his Obi-Wan Kenobi beard kind of coming in, (laughs) which he had for that film. So I'm just kinda like, all right, it is what it is. And so we have that. And then we've cut away and we have the Duke's threat where he says, look, I will finance the refurbishment of the Moulin Rouge, but in response, I want exclusive rights to Satine. And if this is violated, I want the rights to the Moulin Rouge. So if everybody wasn't banking on Satine to begin with, they very much are now. Now, Satine's not told this, but this is the deal that gets made in order to happen seems
1: a bit silly to not tell her this and it also doesn't sound like much of a viable
2: contract there's a bunch of stuff and we did oh, i can't believe we didn't mention this of course yeah,
1: he has a law
4: degree just whilst we're going there if she says anything about contracts <laughs>
2: there we go. hashtag lawyer hashtag lawyer <laughs> uh we haven't mentioned at this point that much that satine is sick and there was a great moment mm. at the end of uh, diamonds a girl's best friend where she falls out of her harness Harness? That's a harness, right? What would you call it? A trapeze? Trapeze. trapeze? trapeze. She falls out of the trapeze, and this guy catches her. His name is Chocolat. Um, Chocolat. Yeah. yeah. And he saves her and carries her off. And it seems to be a theme that when she needs him, Chocolat is there, quite interestingly. Yeah. Um, we'll come back to that. So uh, we have this bit where um, they finish up their, perf- their acting uh, rehearsal for the day. And they get told, that's a great job with Act 1. Tomorrow we go with Act 2. The lovers are discovered. And of course, like 60 seconds later, um, our good friend, what was his name again, Harold Zidler, manages to catch eyesight of Satine and Christian having a little kissing action Very sloppily, not they're they're kissing. I'm sure that wasn't very sloppy. But they're not not hidden at all. It's like, don't be brazen, guys. You're getting a little bit too comfortable with the gimmick here. Because we did see a montage of how clueless the Duke is and how they would create reasons to get them away. And it would just be like really thinly veiled, here's what we're actually talking about. But um, this is where um, Harold finally tells Satine he could take the Moulin Rouge. And we get, okay, well, this is uh, a serious problem now. And he promises the Duke, the Duke's ready to to leave, to, to pull out all his funding, and he promises the Duke, um, Satine will be with you tonight. And Satine, of course, has promised Christian The movie made sure we heard it nine times. You're coming tonight, right? Yes, I'm coming tonight. You promise? Yes, I promise. What time tonight? Eight o'clock tonight. Are you sure? You can look into her bedroom from your apartment. Like, this is not a huge deal. And then she gets sick again and needs to be rescued again by Shakala. And so every side's got to be placated. And, of course, uh, Ewan McGregor's character is jealous. And he swore he wouldn't be jealous. It was the deal they made, so they weren't going to be jealous. But... He's jealous. Meanwhile, the Duke is furious because he thinks he got stood up. And we have this moment where uh, Nicole Kidman says, "Look, I was sick." And of course, Christian doesn't believe her because he's no. he's in, he's in the, the the throes of jealousy. And you get that, but it's even more tragic because but she doesn't want to tell him how sick she is. And there's a she whole lot. Know. Well, she doesn't know that she's dying, but no. she knows she's sicker than she's letting on. Yeah. You have yeah, to imagine.
0: Weren't well, well, most people dying around that time with consumption?
2: Oh, yeah, it was prolific. So yeah.
0: Surely she would have had some idea.
2: Only, only, The only character who we ever see is when she coughs up the blood at the start of the film and that woman, I think her name was Marie, yeah. looks at it and we get her looking concerned and it sort of fades yeah. out and we go, okay, but this is bad.
1: I think Marie's older and a bit more worldly, though, so perhaps you know, as a courtesan in the Milan Maries you wouldn't um, necessarily know
0: what consumption
2: was. And she's in her 20s. And when you're 20s, you're feeling probably somewhat invincible. And she's famous and she is the Mm -hmm. star.
0: But she was, am I wrong in thinking this, that she was, because she mentioned she was on the streets, come from the streets. So was she not a prostitute before she came into the Moulin Rouge? Oh, I would think so, yes.
3: Yeah, so she knows about the streets. She's aware of what's going to be bad. Because
0: back then, a lot of prostitutes in the Victorian era had consumption and got it. So she would um, had a bit more. Say,
4: Sorry? Uh, consumption is now what we call pulmonary tuberculosis, which tuberculosis. is a bacterial infection, which um, is spread through airborne bodily fluids. <gasps> uh, so it is very probable that everyone in the Moulin Rouge had some sort of um, yeah, strain of it. But a lot of people, much like our friendly coronavirus at the moment, um, know it is um it was spread through the air, it was spread through water droplets and all of that kind of thing. Um but luckily for them in that time, a lot of people actually um only carried it and didn't display symptoms. Mm. So just, why are you only get one death in the film?
2: So that giant opening number where they're all like mosh pitting together trying to catch Satine means they've probably mm-hmm. all got it. Shaka yes, got absolutely. it for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: And so Christian
4: them- also has too.
2: And so then they deal with the fact that Satine tells Christian, I'm going to have to sleep at the Duke on opening night. It has to happen or all this goes away. And they said, Look, we should, we should end it. And Christian goes, No, 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 I just won't be jealous. I just won't be jealous. And again, a guy who's never been in love before and is experiencing all this for the first time, it's easy to be idealistic, I think, and go, I'm not going to be jealous. And this is where we have the introduction to Come What May. We've now,
1: missed like a virgin. Oh, did we miss Like a Virgin? Oh, I yeah. had it. Now,
2: sorry, before that, we have Jim Broadbent who goes and says, no, no, she wasn't sick. That's right. She wasn't sick. Not that she knows. She wasn't cheating on you. She wasn't standing you up.
1: She's confessing.
2: She's gone to <laughs> confession. At which point then, Jim Broadbent begins like this spoken word, Like a Virgin, and I've just written down my notes, I want to see a whole Jim Broadbent Madonna tribute album where he just like reimagines them because he is great in this. He's brilliant. And then it's so slimy when he says, oh, what is it? It's uh, I can when I feel you inside me or something like that. And I'm just yeah. like, oh, Jim Broadbent, this is not. <laughs> and they kind of do this like typical it's almost like it mirrors like the elephant love medley and that him and the duke are dancing around but broadbent's got like the sheets <laughs> around his head and they're like dancing like the big number like and it's all men even mm-hmm. all the backup dancers are men and it's just, big, like, just all big, male big
1: appreciation for the backup waiters yeah. they are they're Bleh. so camp and so funny i love it
2: and it's this all male send-up of what's supposed to be a big romantic you know a uh, man and woman sort of uh, construction If you think about it, Like a musical You know There's Every show's got one or two songs Like this With this big And it's, it's with the fact it was two men And then when you just couldn't get Any more creeped out If you were creeped out With the Duke saying um, The Duke saying Come what may I mean when he goes And when you, When, when <laughs> He, he repeats the line about being inside when, when he's inside me or something. I'm just like, oh yeah, my! And he, he's like, and he breaks like the wall. Yeah, and he looks. He looks at the camera, and it's I'm strange. like, oh my god! He's a, he's aware of it. We're here. I feel violated.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> and the, I love the bit when they go. They've gone through the tunnel, come out the end of the tunnel, and there's the wobbly jelly boobs.
2: Yes, and it's just yeah.
3: so camp and so silly. There, there were moments of Book of Mormon in that for me. Yeah, <laughs> With yeah. The dancing and stuff. It's
2: just and the Duke. I mean, the guy who played him was it Richard Oxburg, Georgia
3: yes richard Roxburgh.
2: Roxburgh. so Roxburgh. he was he was fantastic in the sense that there's not a redeeming quality he doesn't he's not trying to be funny uh, at classically no point
4: trained actor in australia he's an australian classically trained yeah, actor look
2: at baz bringing his people with him
4: I and i think it 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 shows from his performance oh, that absolutely. there's not much you could throw throw at him that he
1: wouldn't be able to handle and he
2: got his role he knew what he he knew what his purpose yeah. was there
1: I looked him up earlier to see if I knew, knew any other films that he'd been in. And he looks like a completely different person on all of his, oh, yeah. his headshots. It's like, he's actually quite an attractive guy
2: and like, and like, be- um, like fit, like, yeah, yeah.
1: like really like dapper and attractive yeah. and
3: look lovely. Got, <laughs> you've got to give him some call because right at the end of that number, he's doing this walking across the table and they've got the wind machine in his hair yeah. and his cloak. <laughs> and he's singing the most ridiculous notes possible. But it's just gorgeous, I, I think. And for a classically trained actor to get up and do that <laughs> is quite impressive. I think hes I love him because I hate him.
2: Liam, I thought this guy looked like a discount uh, Gary Oldman. What do you think?
0: Yeah, To the point where yeah. I
2: actually looked him up and went, is this Gary Oldman? Because I thought for a moment it might have been.
0: Because I kept looking at him thinking, I must know him from somewhere because yeah. he does look familiar. Mm-hmm. But, like you say, I think it's because you look like somebody else
2: yeah I think it's there, else. There's
3: a bit of um, Bill Nye in him as well. The shape of the, <laughs> the face. The science
2: guy. <laughs> Bill oh, Nye. No, Bill Nye, not Bill, Bill Nye. I was like, what? Bill Nye. Bill a science, science guy. Bill, Bill, <laughs> Bill, Bill. Bill. <laughs> um, so, then we go into Come What May, yes. uh, which is the promise they're going to give each other that right? if they sing it. And they're going to put this in the show, and it will remind each other that they're always going to be in love together, only, only they will know. Even if they haven't seen each other, this will be the song by which they will know. And this song was not written for Moulin Rouge. This hey. song, Liam's the only one doesn't know this. Everyone's doing too much research now. <laughs> I used to enjoy it. Okay. <laughs> this song was written for Romeo and Juliet oh. and was oh. not used. At which point I'm going, how would you have used this in Romeo and Juliet, especially when, as we've determined, Leo can't sing?
1: <laughs> Maybe that's why they didn't use it.
2: So they used it for this, and it went to to to, to great acclaim. I think it charted in a number of countries. It definitely charted in Canada.
0: It's great. It is. It's, it's a great favorites.
2: song, and yeah. but it was not eligible for the Oscar for Best Original Song because it was written with Romeo and Juliet in mind, and as such, did not qualify. That's
1: really sad. It's got no matter
2: about what it first appears in, it's what was it written for, apparently. Oh, okay.
4: Especially sad considering it is the only original song in the entire film, so (laughs) they didn't even have another shot at that thing, at that award, because Mm. it was originally written for Romeo and Juliet.
2: Yeah, and there's a great little montage, but there's a crosscut between various things. They cross crosscut between them for rehearsing it, they cross cut between the two of them singing it in private, they cross cut between them singing it together, and there's a great oh. shot where they're on a picnic, and they're singing it to each other, and meanwhile Duke's like, oh look a little frog! Scamporing and he around. like scampers around <laughs> beside the frog. He jumps like a frog. Yeah. He's very good at his physical acting, this guy. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It sort of shows the slightly bipolarishness of the Duke, because he has that moment when he crushes his hat and he says I don't like people touching my things, and then he's going, oh look, a frog! And- He's <laughs> like, there's something yeah. not right about this guy.
2: <laughs> well, he just wants what he wants and he wants it now. Yeah. Yeah. And hes I imagine he's a guy who's not been told no a whole lot in his life. So, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. I think we do love a montage in these podcasts. And um, I've referred to it as a sex montage in my notes because there's an awful <laughs> lot of like kind of sateen draped in a bed sheet. Oh, yeah, candies, yeah, there is. Like them holding well, each other's naked bodies. It, and it's by the window. I remember that one. Montage, yes. The ones we normally <laughs> look
2: at. Yes. Um, and so at this point at the end, as those are just coming to the, the conclusion, um, Nina something or other goes up to the Duke and says, this ending is stupid. I don't know why she doesn't fall for the Maharaja rather than the writer. Oops, I mean, uh, sitar player. My and notes
1: s- say that other proser is a right bitch. So,
2: but the jig is up. But the jig <laughs> is up. The jig is up without reason now i was doing some research going did i just miss something and no people are going well she probably wants the job that satine has and this would help advance her i'm fine with that if we saw one frame of one shot of her looking jealous or something that made me go this could happen
1: she does make a mean comment about satine right at the start when she's got when she first kind of faints and the first sign of consumption
3: she falls off the when she falls off the trapeze and she's carried out they're looking down from above and she goes, well, the Duke's not going to get his fill tonight. Oh, he's get like, his fill tonight. And the other prosy goes, oh, don't be unkind, Nene. And oh. you sort
2: of, and she's always the one who's looking a bit But we're told and- that if this goes badly, the whole Moulin Rouge is going to crumble. Yeah,
4: know that. They know that, though. I, okay, I guess I needed,
2: I needed more of a build-up. I needed some more shots during the story of her not feeling comfortable with the fact that's going on or her being, and a bit more direct than just, well, oh, he's not getting laid tonight. I yeah. needed something that was like, I hate her, or I hate him.
3: Maybe it's a woman's thing.
2: <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> Liam, are you with me on this, or?
0: Yeah, I'm with you on this. Good, yeah. good yeah. man, good it's man. come out of nowhere. This
2: is why it's our podcast, buddy. <laughs> 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 we, want, we want to thank our guests for joining us today. I'm just going to mute their microphones now. It'll be all right. <laughs> so... Um, there's a great bit when Nicole Kidman realizes she has to save the day because the Duke says, I don't like it. Change the ending. I know you two are in love. And at which point Christian really helps his cause out by going, you know, the Duke says, she
4: doesn't love you. Yes,
2: the, the Duke goes, "Well, why shouldn't she end up with a Maharaja? And Christian goes, because she doesn't love you. And I'm like, if you've kept up this, this mirage, this, this, this deception, this pretense for months now, You don't have it in you to like not like hold back this one moment. I know. I know when the movie's gonna get where it's gotta go.
1: It's the climax.
2: Oh, is is it?
3: It's where he breaks. Is it? Yeah. It's a break moment. Oh, okay. We're we're gonna come back to that. I shout that line at the same time. There is a
2: whole lot of movie left to go when this. There's still (laughs) there's still fifty minutes of film left when this happens.
1: I mean, it's it's like the climax of the secrecy and Uh, that part of it.
2: So kid, the jig is up, and we're supposed to go, oh, but Kidman sort of corrects herself, walks down, makes some disparaging on how writers get caught up in their work, and she changes, and you're like, you want to believe it? she's the one who can just turn it on and turn it off? She does in that shot, and he's just, he's, the Duke's on this little stool, and the whole, it's a big empty shot. And he looks so small. And then they shoot her from behind, confidently walking down, and then slightly from underneath at the front and showing her to be she looks powerful and in control. And she manipulates him like like that. And you just go and, and you buy it. You don't go all because she, she totally pulls it off and says he's just trapped. Da, 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 da. Well,
1: it's her job, isn't it? I think yeah. in that initial <laughs> scene with the elephant love medley when she says to Christian, you know, I'm I'm paid to make men yep. believe what they want to believe. It's it's very true.
2: It's when, it's when we see her going. I'm going to business now. I'm, I'm going to work. Yeah. And then we remind she's she reminds Christian she's got to sleep with the duke. and She's got to sleep with the duke that night. And everybody's kind of just everybody literally is sitting around waiting for her to sleep with the duke, so their yeah. th- so their lives can be saved. And um, she says, "You promised me. You promised me you wouldn't get jealous." And I'm gonna go. Well, is it fair to hold Christian to this promise? That's a stupid really. promise, How? isn't it? It's a bit of a stupid promise, isn't it?
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, it's, for a guy who's never that been that in love
3: when they're, they're downstairs and backstage, it's just heartbreaking because just... you see, you see Christian's total innocence and absolute devotion, and that he's he's it's the first time he's fallen in love and he doesn't know what to do, so and annoying. he suddenly feels like he's gonna break.
2: And He's sitting there waiting, watching, watching the yeah. thought tick by, and Nina goes up and gives him the great, you know, I'm sure you'll get your end in as soon as the Duke gets his end in, and then our narcoleptic Argentinian decides to have a bit of a heel turn and just turn into a complete jerk on Christian <laughs> by going, you know, never fall in love with a woman who sells herself for money and then <laughs> brings the, oh, I can't swear, brings the flipping house down with a per- per- performance of Roxanne. How great um, is his voice in this song? It's amazing. Really.
0: Also, the mirroring of the situation with her and the Duke mm-hmm. and then doing the song phenomenal
2: even if you haven't seen moulin rouge if you've seen the music video for mr brightside you you know what we're talking about here because it's what it was i mean yeah yeah if you've seen the video for mr brightside it's this scene and you mcgregor is the is brandon flowers from the killers and that came out two years after moulin rouge moulin rouge definitely influenced that not the other way around yeah and a very sultry aggressive um was it Tango? What was it? Yeah. It was a tango. It's called,
1: it's called yeah. the tango, yeah. tango de Roxanne.
2: Okay. And so, but as it's going on, the, the narcoleptic Argentinian is sort of narrating the steps of seduction that are currently taking place. Also, the steps of paranoia that are taking place in um, Christian's head. And so Christian can't deal with it, has to go for a walk. Uh, as he's going for a walk, Satine, after just promising the Duke that she's his... Like sees Christian and like instantly can't help herself from going somewhat may come what may what may some might say <laughs> come what may, <laughs> and so the Duke then goes into like uber rage mode, which we didn't really know he had in him, and basically goes, "I'm gonna rape Satine." Yeah, yeah, basically
3: it, it, the complete switch. He loses control. Yeah, someone's touched his stuff.
0: Yeah,
3: and he completely flips.
0: And she, but the whole
1: number is just immense. It build you've got oh because this is right when it's crashing yeah it builds further than you think it can build doesn't it
2: and it's frantic cross-cutting between we're at the dance we're with christian we're in the bedroom we're with jim broadbent we just keep going back Mm. and the volume's getting louder and the cuts are getting quicker i tried to find how many shots are in this film because an average film is like a 120 1250 shots if that's an average film this has got to be about three thousand. Easily, because there's so many yeah. shots in this film, yeah. and they rush through him, and he like tears off her dress, and she starts crying. She can't go to that place anymore. She can't go to that switch. She can't turn her brain off. That's where they're at. And then Chocolat comes in, and does he? Does he Hits punch him them? the
1: head?
3: I think. I, see, I thought yeah, he, he punched I,
2: him. I thought he killed him. because yeah. he just goes down. Like, I'm like, he just kill him. Yeah. What's going on? Lost your... Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. I feel a the Duke doesn't get in many fights. Well. So. <laughs> And so um then we have the idea that christ she was running back to Christian and says, I couldn't do it, I couldn't do it, I wanna be with you. And he goes, Okay, let's run away. And she goes, What about the show? And he goes, I don't care about the show. At which one, I hear what Christian's saying, I do. But there's a lot of people who he's worked with who do care about the show. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> yeah. involved...
0: could you imagine us when we do shows, yeah. if one of us turned around and go, nah,
2: Opening night, let's get it. I it. I Where's it. Liam? Oh, he's run off. He
1: <laughs> just wouldn't do it. He wouldn't do it. I think the response would be, and when's Liam's funeral? Yeah, I
2: mean, everybody everybody in the Moulin Rouge is going to lose their job. They're going to lose the Moulin Rouge because so she goes back in and this is where the tip-off comes that um, Chocolat's supposed to smuggle her in. She can get her stuff and she can leave. But they find out that they're going to kill Christian. And she goes, "I ah, basically, I don't care. We can do it because we love each other. And they go, you're dying, Satine. <laughs> that was a pretty good Jim Broadbent, I was, thought, yeah.
0: actually.
2: At which point she stops okay, and goes,
0: this?" that's the bit I don't like. Is what? This is the bit I don't like, when they tell her she's dying and she looks shocked. Yeah. Blood. It's not good.
2: Well, we've all been sick or ill, and I'm and probably to the point of being, you know, I can pull through this. I'm, I, you know, it's, it's, it's nothing. I can do this. Yeah. Now, yeah, but as the not...
0: film goes on it gets more frequent yeah you
2: know, you... it's true so you would,
0: do you know what i mean you would sort of i mean if, if you coughed up blood you'd go holy
2: crap yeah probably yeah, this, is,
4: this is 120 years ago though remember well, to be so, fair though when that not, not everyone's as educated
2: when that woman looks at the blood you got the idea but it wasn't good i mean yeah you can't yeah. go on wikipedia and find out what this means but <laughs> yeah. you might go to one of your dancers i coughed up blood is that bad it feels bad I coughed
3: up blood once. That's because I choked on a poppadom.
2: Oh, (laughs) jeez. And she's probably less serious. And there's the song about how it all ends. It wasn't at the time. And there's the song about how it all ends today. And the whole time it's going on, Nicole Kidman's just staring like almost the na- into the camera the na- the film. and there's like there's like a bird cage like yeah. right out of focus but right in the foreground oh, I really liked that. and i'm going i get it movie she's the bird in the cage i get it it's yep very clever she is the cage bird that sings yes that's nice
3: that's the one bit I, I i don't like too much i just find it a bit naff i love the whole bit before because it, it that's where they grab you yeah. and they rip you to shreds and everyone goes yes i've been in that situation i've broken you say anything to get what you want, and you think, "Yes, I'll make you feel better." And this and that and the other, and they go, mm, "That's a bit no."
2: So she, <laughs> so she goes round. She dumps Christian again, and it felt like, like four times in this film, he gets what he wants. His heart's broken. He gets what he wants. His heart's broken. He gets what he wants. His heart, but with shorter intermissions between each heartbreak. Now,
1: welcome to the world of love, Christian. And, well, and for
2: yeah, and for you want to love here it is. And, and for a few hours, uh, he's in love again, and then all of a sudden, no, I can't have it, and so he goes ahead and he sells his typewriter and he goes, I went to the Moulin Rouge one last time. As he goes oh, past we, we this emaciated you looking you missed, prostitute. Sure. Go ahead.
3: Uh, sorry. Um, the show must go on.
2: Uh, yeah. Jim Broadbent, the show must go on. <sighs> yeah. That
3: is the most amazing arrangement. I don't know why I don't have and it on my
2: notes because I really did uh, like it. Yeah. It's,
3: it's, it's gorgeous. It starts so simply and they're all getting the theater ready and, and it, it's a proper queen production yeah. it, It's so theatrical And it, it, it's, it's how that song was meant to be And as the song and ends also,
0: Did you notice Did you notice? It, during that song She walks to the light
1: yeah. yeah
0: Do you know what I mean So like, she what you would do if you were dying You're going towards the light mm. And that's what she does
2: And as the song ends she passes um, Harry And because her show is about to start Her show will start Her acting will start when she gets to Christian's house yeah. and you see her totally change her demeanor and goes, look, I picked the Maharaja he can give me everything I want that's kind of where we're at
1: and she's wearing this gorgeous like morning outfit as well with mm. the, the black yeah. veil and wow. yeah, it's really nice costuming.
2: So she dumps him, he gets all emo he cries, he screams, he gets beat up he gets thrown on the ground and he goes and he sells his typewriter.
0: Yeah, can I just say also there, you know the bit where he's thrown to the ground uh, do you not think that's very Trainspotting? Oh, oh. You know when he goes and the camera looks up at him and yeah. he's, like, on the floor? Very trained spot
2: on. It is. I'm just wondering if Baz Luhrmann's the kind of guy who apes other directors. He might, Well, actually, yeah, maybe, because he, he borrowed a ton of music, so why wouldn't he borrow yeah. films? Yeah. You've won me over. Very, I,
0: thought, I thought it was very won me over. done. I no, think no. Yeah. They'd be virtually identical.
2: So he sells his newspa- uh, newspaper. He sells his typewriter, goes in. And he just basically turns into like angry stalker. And bless Nicole Kidman, she's just crying a lot and saying please go. And he falls. No, because he's really got this zinger. He's practiced at home, and we've all had these fights. We've got like this line ready, and he's like, "I'm gonna get this line out." And he's like, "No, you're gonna take the money. No, no, just just leave me. No, let me pay you. No, you don't have to pay me." And he keeps falling around. No, no, no. And eventually, um, he somehow pulls down the narcoleptic Argentinian. And I've got uh, in my notes uh, Christian Shakespeare's in Love, like three years after Shakespeare in Love, because he's going to actually go on stage now in the role that he wrote. <laughs> and he goes on there, and they come up through the trap door whatever it is, and the light hits. And Jim Broadbent, God bless him, saves it by going, oh, even though you have shaved your beard and are wearing a disguise, I know you are the same sitar player as before. Twitch the audience, i goes Oh,
3: oh. <laughs> every Amdam production has had that moment. Yes, and they,
2: where it's like <laughs> someone cover. <laughs> and Broadbent's—he's—he's he's the guy on stage. He's playing the Maharaja. He's going to cover. At which point, I mean, the burn of the century when he throws the money because thanks to the fact that's so close to their own relationship, he can say this. And he goes ahead and he throws the money at her and says, "Like, take them. I don't owe you anything anymore. Take the money. For my I have whore. paid for I my that. whore." And I'm just going, ouch, this is going to kill you In a few minutes, buddy And he walks down the center aisle And then sure enough, Nicole Kidman rises to her feet And starts singing, come what may Now during this point, the Duke's had this heavy Who doesn't really say anything the whole film But he's bald and doesn't look that menacing But he's got a gun (laughs) And John Leguizamo, because he didn't have enough of a part I guess in the film, is the only guy Who sees that he's got one, and he's trying to figure it out Because there was a great scene, which I haven't talked about where Toulouse goes and speaks to Ewan McGregor, uh to Christian, about being in love. And Christian's going, get away. I don't want to talk to anyone about it. He goes, No, no, but she loved you. you must be. He goes, No, what would you know? Again, finally Toulouse goes, Because I you are I've never had the experience of being in love, and that consumes me every day of my life. Yes, Georgia. Just
4: as a little trivia little bit there, um those lines that he says to um christian there are not all of them directly but they are taken in part from real letters that the real toulouse actually wrote himself um back and forward to different people obviously his character is based on a real person um who really was short because he had deformities in his leg legs um so it's really interesting that they've actually taken that little bit of history and put it in there because those words are so powerful that he says and you kind of go oh, okay, that was a real person as well, once you know that, adds a little extra layer of meaning to it.
2: And so just as we see Christian struggling with the idea of what it means, we're also seeing Toulouse, because Toulouse is going, I guess he's living somewhat vicariously through Christian and experiencing love through Christian for the first time. And he's shaken more than anybody else, but he's hanging on to hope more than anybody else. And it's going, there's got to be a reason. And thankfully, he thinks out loud for us. There's got to be a reason. Why would she? And then he finds out, oh, they were going to kill him. That's why. And he, thankfully, he helps narrate this for the audience. So in case we weren't paying attention, (laughs) he reminds us. This is what's happening. And just as the bald guy is getting ready to shoot Christian, he comes falling down. But before we get to that point, of course, Christian hears come what may and... Um, Nicole Kidman's finished her verse. It's time for his verse. And so he... And like they're laying on the stage and their voices are shot up towards the... Like how are you hearing any of this? The acoustics must be brilliant in this theater because they can always hear everything. So Christian comes back. He sings Come What May because the ending was supposed to be changed so they don't end up together, but they're violating that. And the whole time they're doing this lovely two shot of the two of them, but they make sure they frame it so you can see the little Weasley Duke in the front row even to the point where they're almost out of focus and he's always in focus and you're going i'm supposed to be watching him and he's hating this and he's doing everything but shout out shoot christian shoot him shoot him get the gun and shoot him but as he comes out john leguizamo falls from the ceiling the gun goes flying all over the place as it's rolling around nobody can see the gun except for the duke he's the only guy who always knows where the gun is and oh, no,
3: then no, no. the little
0: dwarf lady
2: the Oh, she, I, I, for a moment, he but runs off. It moves like a couple of times, though, and the Duke always knows where it is. Liam,
0: this scene in particular, I dislike, yeah, because of the bald headed guy who's been mean and menacing through the whole thing, and now he's conflicted he smiling and joining in with the, the dancing. Oh, uh, because that's
1: he, because he's trying to get to the gun and blend in. Oh, uh, maybe. I,
0: don't know. I thought that was really before. funny. Oh, oh, when really he goes through the, the, yeah, the, 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 yeah. like
1: gonna... the rest of the band Yeah, he's got the little tambourine Somehow a tambourine covering your face He's dressed like right, the, the rest it, of the band as well it, I
2: understand. No, didn't Officer, I couldn't he's... have shot him I was holding the tambourine at the time
0: He was weaving in between and out people He weren't trying to blend in He
1: was, he was doing the dancing one, as well
0: One shot I hated it
2: <laughs> You only get one shot Do not miss your chance, the to... wrong, wrong movie um, Suddenly so the gun goes flying off and it lands in the aisle. And just as the Duke is walking away, but the Duke somehow, the magic of acoustic movies got a movie because he doesn't hear the music or the singing. He somehow just hears this gun land behind him like six feet, turns <laughs> around, sees the gun, I guess knows how to shoot one because he walks up with it in his hand, at which point Broadbent completes his baby face turn by punching him in the face. Which was weird because at this point we've established there is a gun, there is a gun live on the stage. Like was almost told us, the bald guy's trying to shoot you, and they decide, "Know what we need to do? Sing another song." And I'm like, "No, no, no! You need to get off the stage because there's yeah. a gun out there somewhere."
4: I do love the visuals we get though of the different can-can dancers kicking the gun around yeah. as they're doing their dancing. I think that's really, really great. I think that's really well done.
2: The old guy, so punch in the face. Uh, they finished, they're going to go out for their bowels, but now it's too much. Satine falls down, coughs her last cough, and dies. And we cut back to Ewan McGregor, who reinforces the theme we sort of saw throughout, which was it's the greatest it's something gift you can have is to fall in love and be loved the in return. The greatest thing you'll, you'll ever learn, learn is
1: just to is love just to and love. be loved in return.
2: Yeah. And, um, yeah. and so he writes, and that was my... And that's the reason for why I did what I did, and I learned because Satine says, "Go write your story," and so he writes L-R-R story. i oh, write our story, and so he writes the story because now he's learned about love, and then he literally writes, types the words, the end on the typewriter. But I guess he somehow got back.
3: Yeah, I'm not sure how
4: that bit happens. I, I think he bought it back, didn't he? Because the money obviously didn't actually go anywhere
2: that he so, got. It. so which of the dishonest people working on stage the moulin rouge collected it and gave it back to him
4: no by the yeah, end they... of it they were all the little family by the end of it they realized that they need the moulin rouge and they need to be together that's kind of the whole the point rouge of the, the ending. ending now in oh, 1900 Georgie, is so like
2: deserted and like out of business in one year
4: but they do it for love yeah.
0: but the duke has still has the rights to it doesn't to the milan rouge that's probably why yeah. that was closed yeah. so the
1: question goes i uh, no, because the contract would have be been frustrated because christine is dead sateen? hashtag lawyer
2: sateen,
3: christine. Hashtag
2: christine. Of
1: <laughs>
3: sateen I'm Sorry.
2: Not once you die third. you
3: have no legal rights
2: to be to be fair there's a whole room full of witnesses so i'm like hold a gun up to <laughs> to <that. the> <laughs> yeah. um because the question is were they all a big happy family because i don't think the prostitutes are bohemians I think the bohemians are that group of four who like wanted to put the show on. I think that's the bohemians.
4: I think the prostitutes by the end of it have fallen in love with the idea of bohemianism.
2: Maybe. I don't know. Didn't also
4: that- just a, just a little fact check there. or a little trivia moment. All of the different prostitutes that we get, the can can dancers are all dressed and characterized after different men, male fetishes. Yes. Yes, we, I so
2: yes. I did know that.
4: I wrote down the ones I spotted. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> Common male fetishes characterized by prostitutes Ken-Kan dancing, which is uh, quite a quite a statement, I think but there's no also, layer in that.
0: This, the, the songwriters and the piano players all were bald
2: Yeah, there was a weird thing when the, show, the passage of time in, I guess when they're writing the show the number of bald-headed piano players was not small No, that's oh, weird, well, isn't it? The that's number of
4: ba- redheads in the film was not small That's just Baz um,
2: Gotta Be Baz, right? Yeah, <laughs> as far as the bald-headed guys, the red-head thing, hey, just he cause my people, color. just cuz my people get get a fair shake for once. <laughs> Excuse
4: me, I'm ginger as well in the right light. I have strawberry but, blonde.
2: But there were there was a time when they were shooting, I think it was The Roxanne, where they had lots of blue, it was. They had lots of blue in Satin scene, but it was lots of red, I think to show hopelessness and anger and kind of so there was a lot and there was a lot of red and blue in, in throughout the I whole I have
0: it in my notes. I have that in my notes. Red and blue, I really uh, liked red it. and bright colours throughout until the Duke's place with dark blues and blacks.
2: Yeah, yeah. So and,
0: um, also, I'd like to say, um, did you notice how they used the slow motion effect? And they did it yeah. every time there was something bad going to happen or something heartfelt happened. It was they used the slow motion effect. Yeah. Throughout the whole
2: film. Yeah, I got tired of seeing Nicole Kidman cough in slow motion myself. (laughs) I'm like, let me just speed this up. Look, I know what's happening, but okay. Well, it's. I'm guessing it's bad that she's coughing again. Thank you for telling me that movie.
4: She actually Um, had to cough that stuff up, though. It wasn't an after effect. She actually had food coloring and corn syrup in her mouth to spit out while she was doing it, which
3: is really quite gross. And it did sound really real.
4: Yeah. because
3: she did have stuff in her yeah, mouth to cough up, so properly, yeah. properly yucky. And I really, as a very emotional woman, I really love the way you and McGregor cried at the end because it wasn't pretty. Yes, and it it wasn't overly dead. It was proper sobbing and painful and sounded awful. It
1: makes me
3: cry. And I've time. sobbed like that, and it it, it really got me. I, I love that bit. Okay, so, um, Liam, it's been a yeah.
2: while awesome since you've seen this. Overall thoughts. We're not rating it yet, but how how do you find it? Um, when I first watched it the first time I
0: ever watched it at the cinema I felt sick like I was dizzy Yeah. there was so much going on and so many camera angles and stuff but I loved the whole premise of it so I went back to watch it again for the second time to see how I'd see it again the second time and I didn't feel sick anymore because I was getting used to the camera angles because I weren't used to all that Um. Looking at it from years on, I mean like twenty almost twenty years on, um, I have a very different feel about it. I feel nostalgic about it more than involved in it now. Where before I was more involved in the storyline, now I look at it as nostalgia watching it rather than being too I didn't cry as much as I did the first time round. You know, I knew what was coming and yeah. I
2: understood the story, Debbie. You brought it to our attention. Um, you, you nominated this. I, I'm guessing it still held up for you because you've seen it a lot. You said so.
3: I, I have. Um, I'm I'm one of those freaky nerds that I love to get the DVD and watch all the extras. I love to know how they've done stuff, and this this film had a lot of that. It had um live motion action over they overlap so many different kinds of technology into it and and the music and everything i but i did still cry even trying to watch it in pieces with a two year old running around um <laughs> saying i want my programs um <laughs> <laughs> I, it still made me cry um i i just get so attached to it I, it's my kind of thing it's so over the top it's colorful I I get what you mean about the fast pace of the film, Liam. Um, I had that when I went to see Hancock in the cinema. I literally had to leave the cinema and lie down outside because I was that sick. Um, But I didn't get that with Mm. this film. And I'd I'd love to hear your take on the whole filming side of it, because the amount of different angles and processes it, it uses i i think it was, it was quite ground I, I believe it was quite groundbreaking um at that sort of when it came out for the first time but i just love it because i think it is a true love story that doesn't have a happy ending
1: okay ellie i absolutely adore this film um it's it's one of my favorites and i think i have always loved a good kind of romantic film um or like a rom-com kind of thing, but especially the ones that make me cry. And this film makes me cry every single time I watch it um, in multiple places. And um, I also love musicals and I I really love the music that they use in this. And even though it's like, you know, your kind of jukebox musical with kind of pop songs and things in it, I think the way it's done and the um, rearrangement of the music is very kind of musical theatre styled and... I just love everything about it.
2: Yeah, this is one that's a favourite of like musical theatre kind of nerds everywhere. I mean, I, I don't think I know anybody involved in Amdram who doesn't love Moulin Rouge. Mm-hmm. Or at least yeah. there be very, very few. Georgia!
4: I think kind of carrying on from what you've just said, it probably just holds a bit of a special place in our hearts and in the hearts of other theatre people because it is set in a theatre. We all know that feeling of you'll do anything to save the production that's going on often to your own detriment, but it is something that resonates. I think. I mean, it's obviously not usually um, having to sleep with someone and uh, uh, to save the actual theatre from being completely demolished. But uh, there are different bits and pieces that are relatable to it in that respect, as well as being a gorgeous love story, um, which it is. And again, like Debbie said, it doesn't have a happy ending, and it's it's something that you kind of you crave it, but you don't get it. But that's part of what makes it as magical, I think, as it as it feels.
2: Yeah, I think I want to touch base on what a couple of you said. Uh, Liam, the idea about nostalgia. I mean, when this film came out, you I mean, we're, about, we're basically the same age. So I was like in my very early 20s, and I had no greater, like, I don't know if hero is the right word. It wouldn't be the right word, but someone who I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't mind being him, would be like Ewan McGregor. Loved Ewan McGregor. Thought he was a brilliant actor. He was going to be in the new Star Wars movies, doing all this great stuff. And Nicole Kidman was like my celebrity crush all through my 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 my, my 20s. And she never looked yeah. better, I thought, than like this or like Days of Thunder. Like, it was just kind of. Uh, I, I, this was her movie. Weirdly this en- was her- we- weirdly enough, uh, that wasn't her actual hair. She was wearing a hairpiece the whole show, which oh, I-, I was it- disappointed to hear about that. I'm like, oh. oh. But that's the first thing. And the second thing, Debbie, I guess it's. Uh, I watched this and really appreciated everything they did because. There was bits, if you think about the end of the Elephant Love Medley, when they do that shot where they circle the two characters like twice. Now, obviously, it's like a green screen, and they go to like the fireworks behind them. But there was a conscious decision made to shoot this film like a music video. And that's mm. why there are so many songs used from like the MTV generation that we would all go. And so it was this blending, not just of, I mean, you look up on Wikipedia, it describes it as a period musical romantic drama I'm like how many more genres could you <laughs> stuff in there if you wanted to and how do we do one more let's shoot it like a music video and let's make oh. it feel and we'll make it all anachronistic you know it was kind of the the, the style of the time i mean uh, what was the name of it? a Night's tale did a similar thing let's bring mm. a bunch of songs but this was a night's Tale. Put like four in i mean this was like let's put you know 30 different references in this film and last week we looked at princess bride which of course was let's do uh more with less it was it was the absence of mm. everything and it, it created a kind of charm this stuffed so much into it and it never came across as overly produced it all had an endpoint to it, but it does give you a feeling of manicness and could be overwhelming. I didn't like the Baz Luhrmann Romeo and Juliet the first time I saw it. Cause for that reason, I felt it was too much and just went, I don't like this. Why is she walking across in fast motion? Why are they making like cash register sounds when, when they exchange money? This is stupid. It shouldn't be like that. And it took me a while to sort of get it. Cause I just like a story. I guess I like, you know, I, I I'm I'm not a less is more guy, but I'm, I'm I like I don't like my suspense of disbelief ripped apart by going it's a movie, it's a movie, it's a movie, and it wasn't until I got older but I learned to appreciate it. And I always did like um Moulin Rouge. And I think somewhere along there I sort of matured maybe as a human being, maybe as a film watcher. I don't know. Liam, it felt like you wanted to bounce off that.
0: Well there's I, I, I like the nods he have in the in the movie, and I also like the nod to the fact of old like Fred Astaire movies, you know, when they used to go above the uh, performers and you'd see the choreography from above. Oh, yeah. They did. They did that quite a lot.
2: Well, something mm. we haven't talked about enough is the, the, the start of the film and the end of the film. These gorgeous, gigantic set piece musical choreographed, like just the mammothness of the scale. Where like you have to bring in two hundred people and have them all buy in, let alone the the, the people you've got in, in the crowd who are just you know extras, but mm-hmm. the actual the fact that they actually had to, like work these these actual scripted numbers in, so yeah. yeah,
3: they had to bring in. um I watched a little bit of this. They had to bring in three hundred extras. That's the most that they can have on any day. Yeah. But they weren't actually extras in the sense of extras. They were all dancers. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally they had to film each scene making sure it looked like there was a crowd of 2,000 because the original Moulin Rouge, which this is based on, would hold 3,000 people. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it it was massive. I mean, and it was, there was the brothel. The elephant was a real thing. That was a special brothel room. Yep. The Gothic Tower was a special brothel room. Yep. And they had the outside garden. They had the sort of tea bits at the front. It, it, it's all pretty much based on, on the original and the fact that they re- rebuilt that whole thing on scale. Is quite amazing. But yeah, they had to refilm each bit of the scene to make sure it looked like there was a crowd of a 1,000 people with 300. Okay. Wow. But they were
2: all dancers. So I've got some questions. Sorry. I've got some questions, a couple ones, and feel free to jump in wherever. This isn't around the table kind of a thing. Um, what is the what is the appeal of this film if you don't get the musical references? The love story. Yeah, the story's beautiful. Okay, but, but I, I, maybe that's, I, I misphrased it. So the love story is important. But how much of the film is us going, oh, I know that. Oh, I know that too. Oh, they've done that. Oh, they put that into that. And there's a fair amount of the film, I'd argue, where the payoff is. Roxanne wouldn't have been as powerful if it was a song they made up. We appreciate the remix of things. Georgia, you're going to tell Um, me you never heard Roxanne before, aren't you? I was going to tell you I am,
4: yes. I'm also going to tell you that the first time I watched this film, I would say maybe two or three of the songs I recognized, and that would be it. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to argue the point that no, the songs are done so well that they could be originals for the film and it doesn't matter mm. because they are put into such an w- amazing setting and arranged so well and so differently from their originals that, yeah. yeah, there's if you know them, you go, wow, that's incredible. But if you don't know them and then you find out they're originals, they're yeah. not original songs, you go, wow, that's incredible. Like it's a very, very well put together piece of music and film without having to have
1: that nostalgia attached.
0: yeah, Because they're arranged to drive the story forward. And that's what I like about the arrangement of the songs. Mm.
1: Yeah, I'm in exactly the same boat as Georgia in that I didn't know very many of the songs at all when I first watched this. And actually, the first time I heard the song Roxanne, as in the original version of it, I was like, this is a song from the Milan Rouge. And I didn't realise <laughs> okay. that it wasn't from
2: the then let me throw a different side on it then for you guys who didn't know it great because i believe that that would help absolutely for people like myself liam debbie i don't know what side of the the sort of parameter of this you sort of fall into if you do know the song does it take you out of it a little bit then because the whole elephant love medley i'm not focused on their love I'm going, hey, it's you too. Hey, it's Kiss. Oh, it's <laughs> no. Wings.
0: No, I disagree because when I watched it, I just saw everything they were trying to explain and say is what you would if you were talking to somebody. They were doing it in song. That's why they had snippets of all the different songs because mm. that was telling I, the story of their love.
3: I, I, I'm sort of whittling with that because you can say so much more in music than you ever can with just plain words everything's gonna be lyrical um and that tells the story i mean i didn't know smells like team spirit before really yeah wow. i was 17 when oh, this came on. out <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, I
2: knew
3: so i didn't know smells like team spirit but i knew i i knew the police because I'd, I'd actually played that in orchestras and things so there were the were bits i knew so i knew different orchestrations of things but for me it was you were swept up the music swept you into the the emotion and it's like actually this guy really really digs this girl and she's a bit conflicted but he's won her over with with his beautiful poetry and and singing so i i think it can pull both in
2: okay time for the usual stuff whose story is this
1: boy christians
2: is a christian story okay but it was if you say someone's name you then have to explain why you can't just say a name
1: well it's christian writing the story of okay, literally. of their love literally yeah so i mean it's following his it's following his view throughout i think it's definitely his story
2: as in the film whose story is, it? is christian's story okay it could be christian's story i mean what's this okay is the story that now that you've lost love you ex- you now know what it is to love that loves a double-edged sword i
4: think so yeah
2: he went no, He went a there a very idealistic young man and came out broken but appreciative on the back end of it. Is that love? Is that the message? Because we see, oh, gee whiz, I'm just so glad to be here in Paris to at the end where he's like, I'm growing a beard. and <laughs> At the end, he's put his hat back on so you know he's okay.
4: I think it's very much a story of love in the sense of what it means to be in love and to again have someone love you back this true sense of belonging and loving and then the fact that it doesn't always last for whatever reason it may be um and appreciating that and overcoming that and then being okay with it but remembering it as something that it was and not then um like putting it down as something bad not like i can't think of the right word um not catastrophizing it, yeah, not uh, making it seem like it was an awful thing, but remembering it as the celebration that it was, even if it doesn't end the way you want it to.
0: Okay, better, to love the to never loved at all.
2: Yes, so uh, let's just go around the table one, two, three, four, five. We know what we're doing here. Uh, favorite character performance, you can do kind of whatever you want to with this, but what was your favorite? Liam, starting with you,
0: I can't ever say his name, but John. Leguizamo? That's the guy. Let,
2: okay, actually, let, let's practice this, because we can have proof. <laughs> so, so John, leg, like, like, like leg. a leg. We. leg. We. Leguizamo. Zamo. So, what's his name?
0: John Leguizamo. There you
2: go. <laughs> so, it's John Leguizamo. I love John Leguizamo, but what was it about his performance?
0: Um, the fact that he was on his knees the whole movie, and he's trying to talk with a lisp. And he's not really a central character, but he makes a big impression in my view yep and um, he's the only I, one of that like, sorry go ahead sorry
2: uh, he's hey, the only I, one of that little like four piece who like I cared about yeah out, out of those four sidekicks, he's the only one i cared about
0: and each movie I've seen him in, whether it be um two wong fu uh What's the other one? Conair, I think. Um, he plays all these different sort of characters, but he plays them true to the to the character, and he often get overlooked. He's not seen as a serious actor, but he so is. I think he's great. He's my favorite character in the whole movie.
2: I totally forgot he was in To Wong Fu until you brought that up. <laughs> I remembered Wesley Snipes, and I remembered, is it Swayze?
0: Patrick Swayze. Yeah, yeah, but
2: I forgot who the third one was. And of course, it is John Leguizamo. Excellent. Debbie.
3: Uh, it's you, McGregor, Christian. I I was a 17-year-old girl when I first saw him. So I was very swept up by his just handsomeness and the fact he could sing. It's what every teenager girl wanted at the time. So, But I, I love his... He, he works so hard. The fact he goes from this lovely, clean-cut, innocent man to a broken... Um, damaged man at the end of it and he's, he's found a way out of this damage by writing um, and he's telling his story no matter how hard it is for him to relive it
1: he goes through it so yeah Ewan um, I think I'm going to be a bit cliche as well and say like the two lovers but I mean Nicole Kidman maybe <laughs> just tops it i think her acting's really good um i really like the scene where she's um trying to bed the duke who's not actually the duke and he's he's christian um i think she does a fabulous job in that um but yeah i think her range of acting in it is is really really good but i like all of the characters
4: um i really like the guy who plays duke because i absolutely despise that character he made me feel incredibly uncomfortable at points, especially in the gothic tower um when he snaps. I couldn't watch parts of that, and even when you guys were talking about it, I was going Bleh. like and for <laughs> someone who's able to make me feel like that through a film um is incredible, especially the fact that when I was watching it i my dog was pestering me at the same time, but I was still able to feel these emotions through it whilst being constantly distracted is an incredible feat. He's definitely not my favorite character, but favorite performance by far. Mm. I think is incredible.
2: I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to try and work him in as an honourable mention, as I will for Jim Broadbent, who I thought was fantastic and yeah. won, won a Bafta yeah. for this. And yes. I, because th- you want to talk about guy, we talk about whose story it was. You could, I'd listen to your argument that it's that it's his character's story. You about, could argue it. Absolutely, you could argue Yeah, it, what's mm. important to him. I'm only with you, McGregor. That
4: changes throughout.
2: It does. I am going to go with Ewan McGregor because Ewan McGregor, actually, Jim Broadbent, if I can just go back for a minute. I mean, he's going to go to some dark places in that one and be the voice of uh, cruelty, the voice of life's not fair, but it has to be the manifestation. And he does really, really well at doing that, but also being the public. Hey, welcome to the Moulin Rouge! And you're like, wow, that's that's interesting dichotomy to pull.
1: He had a really lovely line, uh, which was, uh, we're creatures of the underworld, we can't afford to love.
2: But my choice would be Ewan McGregor because where Nicole Kidman had to go from 1 to 10 and got all the appeal of you get to roll around on the floor, um, crazily, sexually charged, da 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 and then die, so you get 10 to 1, Ewan got from 3 to 8. He never really got to go to the super shoutiest of places. There's a little bit when he's you know doing the whole Stella, but it's Satine. But... <laughs> But he kind of lived in more of that three to eight place. And it's the subtle nuances he does that I felt make him the everyman. And he had to be the straight man in many ways compared to the rest of the circus-like characters he would meet. And just as a really quick aside, um, Nicole Kidman's character, does she really matter in the sense that does she exist for a little more than just to be a prize for two men to fight over? What's her journey? She chooses love at the end? She chooses love minutes before she dies? Is that really a journey?
4: no i think her journey is that she chooses love quite early on but it's the battle between that her job and her livelihood that she has to fight throughout and then the yeah.
2: fact
3: that she's dying
2: she can't walk away from the stage though what about the show what about the show well, she,
3: she dreams of being an actress mm. that's been her dream her whole life and she wants to be the next sarah Bernhardt. so there, there, there's that inside you as well so she's kind of been pulled three ways i think mm-hmm. so it's 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 really tricky
2: um while we're talking about songs we did a little bit what was the best song because i think this is definitely a film we could talk about this what is the best song
0: roxanne
2: that's fine roxanne uh liam
0: your song my
2: song which one did i write i don't know no No, absolutely i hear that
1: the elephant love medley yeah is that what no, but those are, songs, no those or? are two
2: totally different songs
1: oh that's the one just beforehand isn't it
2: you yeah you can tell okay. everybody this yeah, is your song <laughs> I, know,
1: I know how your song goes i just thought it was part of the elephant love medley no nope,
4: different It is part of the elephant there it is the elephant love medley again that's the oh, they confusing. come back okay, to, they come back to it why. at the end yeah. Yeah, yeah she sings yeah, the last the
2: last few notes are how wonderful yeah. life to be fair everything ends with how wonderful life is while you're in the world until they make up the secret lovers song that was the secret lover song <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean you I I love your song I actually took your song and did it for my A level um music technology I did it in my tra- 8 track recording
2: so. First year I tried out for Canadian Idol I did that version <laughs> of your song actually yeah <laughs> The problem is the people on the judging panel hadn't heard that rendition so <laughs> oh. I was like
4: um, I imagine "Come What May." Actually, I think that's a gorgeous song, um, and the fact that it is the only original one in the film, I think, gives it at least some credit, if nothing else. Even if it was written for Romeo and Juliet, it's still an original song, isn't it? So,
2: yeah,
4: I'd go with that one.
2: We've kind of hit them all. I guess I'd throw my vote behind your song, but it's a. I mean, you could. It's a really close race between like five of them. Mine so. is,
1: yeah, Mine is "Come What May" as well.
2: Oh, I thought you said "Love Medley." I'm sorry.
1: No, I was I was asking whether that <sighs> oh, was what Liam meant.
2: Sorry about that. So, um, and then we got maybe the best bit. Is there a bit or a scene that jumped out at you more than anybody else? Liam, what was your favorite scene?
0: Um, can come back to me.
2: Yep. <laughs> Debbie.
3: Um, maybe probably that the opening sequence when we're introduced to the Moulin Rouge and you've got gentlemen coming in mm. and the the diamond dogs coming out and it's showing you all the different things that are going on in the Moulin Rouge like the the mermaid dancing and the, the two tattooed men dancing together and things just that that whole because it's mashing together so many songs and all the various things and it's just it's so busy and it's so fast-paced and it's trying to give you the energy and and the feel of what the Moulin Rouge was it was just manic and colourful and busy and, and insane and I, I love that because I think that's just so cleverly done and Put together and I'd love to have a go and do that on stage at some point <laughs>
2: Ellie.
1: i'm going to really struggle to pick a favorite scene um I really, really love all of huh? them <laughs> I, I don't think I can okay Georgia
4: I really like the whole spectacular spectacular scene. No, I think really. that's really, really funny and really quite sweet and it's a little it's a, probably one of the most simplistic moments in the film because it is just them attempting to pull something out of thin air mm-hmm. yeah. whilst with the props they've got in the room. And whilst they are very lavish props, they are a lot less than what they have think, for the rest of the film. And I think it's just really lovely.
2: I think Debbie used the word panto-esque to describe that. And I think that's pretty uh, accurate. Yes,
3: spot on. And yeah. it, it, yeah. it is. It is. It's It's totally wonderful. what we would do in a rehearsal, isn't it? Yeah. You find yeah. this, you find that, you grab that. And I love in that, that sequence that they use... Um, orpheus in the underworld, they use the can can so you come out of that going it's that sticks in your head because no matter what you do everybody knows that from somewhere
2: yeah
3: yeah i I love the fact that they put lyrics to it because it's impossible to try and sing (laughs) liam
2: i think you have a response now
0: yeah uh my favorite scene is when she goes to him and tells him that she doesn't love him oh wow okay because her eyes tell one thing and her voice says another
2: you know what? We usually, I usually ask what we see in films, and I usually say I analyze things, and you usually say I look for the heart. And I think you got, I think you do, because I never would have thought of that scene, buddy. Yeah, um, it gonna... is
4: a gorgeous scene. Actually, I do completely agree with Liam. Her acting throughout that scene is incredible, and how it just turns on the hat, like it's, it's brilliant.
2: I am going to cheat ever so slightly. Well, not ever so slightly. I'm going to cheat egr- egregiously and say that I kind of have a top three. Uh, Georgia kind of <laughs> mentioned spectacular, spectacular. So I'm going to throw a hat in there. The second one, we sort of mentioned it earlier, so I'm not going to make it my favorite one. It was uh, – oh, I've blanked on it now. Oh, my God. What was it? Oh, Roxanne.
0: <laughs>
2: Roxanne, for the wonderfulness that that was. I'm going to choose instead something that made me feel equally lighthearted, the spectacular, spectacular, but also made me feel incredibly creeped out, which was the Duke and Harry like a virgin <laughs> duet, which I thought was both hilarious. And but Duke's never in on the joke, though. he We're always laughing at him, not with him. Even the fact that even still, this is a never sell job by someone else on him. But I think it showed the incredible range of the actor who played that role. And really... Um, I'd be well up for trying to see if he was doing something ever in London or something like that, because I think the guy can probably, he can probably truly and properly act. And... Oh, he's,
4: a, he's, um, has done a lot of Shakespeare and stuff on stage. Yeah. He's a proper mm. actor. If that's a horrible term to put to other people, but he is a Yeah.
2: That's... He's a proper actor. And, this kind of... I'm trying to a way to call this. I think I might call this my one grumble or my little grumble or my one... The one bone I have to pick with this. Well, think of some sort of name for it. But Liam, one thing about the film you're like, wasn't that big on this? Your least favorite part of the film?
0: The bit with the bald-headed guy going through the audience with a gun.
2: Okay, yeah, he said that, yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't
0: like that. Okay. Like because that were not his character.
2: Okay. Uh, Debbie... I know you love it. Do you have a a little niggle in this?
3: (laughs) I I said earlier, it's when Satine sings randomly with a birdcage bit. um, I just feel that. And it's so quiet. I know it's different when you're in a cinema, you can hear everything. But when when you're at home, it it just kind of is a bit there. With the rest of the film being so big and brash and in your face, that just kind of didn't do anything for me.
1: Ellie. Um, I really liked the contrast of that bit. Um, The the only bit of the film I don't like is when um, Zidler punches the Duke. Um, Not not that I have a problem with that bit. Um, The gun flies out of the window and hits the Eiffel Tower and bounces (laughs) off it. I love that and I think that's also the bit where you see the man in the moon.
2: Hang on. In a film where the man in the moon is literally helping the duet of your song, he's doing like Italian opera lines in the background. Oh, oh is he? Oh, yes. Okay, I yeah. completely missed that. Oh, the man in the moon's a recurring character. I, Three times he shows I up. I
1: heard the opera backing no, the to man the of the songs. It. I didn't know it was the man in yeah. the moon. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only Yeah, time... when,
3: when they're on the rooftops and they go okay. all sort of um, singing in the rain sort of thing. The only
1: time I noticed the man in the moon was in this scene where the gun hits the Eiffel Tower. So I'll take the man in the moon out of That bit as the bit I don't like, and I'll just call it the bit where the gun hits the Eiffel Tower. Okay. It just didn't make any sense.
2: I kind of, in a world where, I mean, there's a lot of stuff where I said the movie's just going to kind of do crazy things. So actually, I didn't like it until it hit the Eiffel Tower. And I was like, all right, if you're going to acknowledge it's ridiculous, then that's fine. I do want to say there's a lot of references in this film to something called A Trip to the Moon, which was like a 1903 silent film. Uh, that was French and it was about going to the moon and the man in the moon was a character and they land a rocket like onto like the moon's head and he like gets damaged. So I I did like that as a little aside. I thought they were making references to that style of filmmaking. My one little niggle, if you will, is the third act is atrociously slow until they get to the theater. Mm
0: -hmm. It's like from
2: the time that we find out Satine's really dying and we have a jump, it's just everything. After Roxanne, the film just Mm -hmm. crawls until we get to the actual. And I felt you could have gotten away with just having the rape scene, five minutes getting us where we need to go, break his heart, and now we're back in for the finale. I feel it overstays its welcome in that third act by a Mm. bit. It's just the pacing. The first two acts are so strong. The ending's pretty good, but I don't know if it fully ever recovers from hitting the break so badly with 35 minutes to go.
1: Mm. You seem to say that quite a lot.
2: Actually, I've never really right. felt this way about films, but the last, I don't know what the film was we looked at, but did that. It might've been Treasure Planet. I don't know what it was, but something hit the brakes. And I went, it was. It's a very, very good film, but I just felt the pacing was just a little bit off at that point, because I thought act one was brilliant. I'm like, hey, I've got it 40 minutes in. I know what we're doing, and then the second act, I get it. We're keeping away from the Duke. Third act, oh, we're dragging this. There's no real reason to get there. Ocean's Eleven, for example. Liam, really? I watched Ocean's Eleven the other day. And they are only like, they're still like, they're like an hour and five minutes into the film or 50 minutes into the film when they start the heist. Like they get into the casino for the heist as soon as they can. And I'm like, that's what I want to see. And I just felt they just over, I knew it was going to come down to the show. So get me to the show and do two, three numbers in the show. That's great. That's fine. It can be the same runtime, but get me back to the Moulin Rouge. That's where I want to be. I'd just
1: like to give a little honorable mention to the set design in the actual of the show itself. Yeah, that staging is incredible. And I was just looking at it going, I really want to be on that stage.
2: Yeah, but Duke (laughs) must have forked out some cash for that. The
1: number of curtains. So
2: (gasps) we are now time for rating the film. Where does it fit in the great pantheon of where we are at? Liam, I hope you've been thinking about it because as per tradition, you are going to be asked to give your number first. Eight and a half. Eight and a half? Okay. Yep. Excellent. Uh Debbie, you've seen this a bunch of times. I'm sure you've got a, a rating in mind for this.
3: Um I was gonna go for about eight and a half as well. Oh really, okay.
1: Yeah. Good. Uh Ellie? I think I'm gonna do a first for best film ever. Because I'm gonna give it a ten. A I 10. love it. I I can't apart from, apart from the gun in the Eiffel Tower, I can't fault <laughs> it. I mean,
2: a film doesn't have to be perfect and flawless to yeah. get a ten, but okay, ten, okay, Georgia.
4: I'm gonna go nine. I think I think that's where I'm putting it. It's not. Yeah, no, I yeah yeah no. I'm standing by my nine. I was trying to talk myself out of it for a second then, but no, I'm standing by my nine.
2: I'm going to go a little bit... I'm I'm below one of of, of a night. I'm going to give it an eight. I do like it. It's a very good film. It's a very, very good film. Um, It's weird. We talked about nostalgia, and there was a lot of nostalgia for this, and I found myself enjoying it maybe a bit more for the nostalgia. It's still an excellently put-together film. I mean, uh, there's just... I felt the third act dragged. I felt... It's weird, because I've said a lot of good things about, about the individual pieces, but somewhere when it came together, it just... It didn't lose me, but I wasn't i wasn't hanging on it. And even though I've seen it before, and we've talked about how you see something the first time, a second time, a third time, an eighth time, and what that does, it just uh, wasn't, uh, it was really good, but I wasn't sitting there going, if you watch a film with me, as you all have, I'll sit there and go, oh, it's good, isn't it? Oh, come on, oh, look at that. I didn't really have any of those moments, the exception of, just a real appreciation of some of the you know what i'm talking i 'm going to go eight and a half i 've talked myself up <laughs> i will, I was struggling as i'm talking myself through it i 'm thinking about the individual scenes i'll give it eight and a half on aesthetic really alone because it was just such a pretty I, film to watch uh, my favorite acting performance is probably the Duke my favorite characterization or it, it's 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 a strong film it's just somewhere along the way it, it feels like a bunch of individual pieces yeah. that then get put together and I just missed that magic that gets you a nine which to be fair i just feel like i'm mr eight and a half if you go through all the ratings we've done i've given so many eight and a (laughs) half i think it's my lazy yeah it's really good eight and a half georgia something you wanted to say um i was
4: as you were talking i was kind of talking myself thinking myself out of my nine into an eight and a half um just because i felt (laughs) that the end i know it's horrible isn't it the end i was expecting it a bit more. I was expecting a, the mm. number and I think it's like you were saying because it feels so slow for the last half hour that you get this gorgeous last scene but there's just not enough of it to be a finale. It's not enough of a payoff for me as a show that has had so many massive numbers and mm. as gorgeous as that number is, it's just not... In. There's a lot of dialogue and stuff after it. You expect a finale because it is so much like a musical. You expect that last finale but even if you've not got Satine in it you expect something to come back and I didn't get you don't get it so I felt a bit a bit left hanging I add, for lack of better words
2: add two minutes to the film have him actually going over the show but this time it's a show it's at another place in the same sort of region and now it's no longer the courtesan and whatever now he's presenting the the, the show and the show is their love And you can call it Come What May, or you can call it whatever you want. You can call it the Moulin Rouge. You can call it Satine. You can do whatever you want. But something that shows, yeah, I wrote the story, and now I'm doing something with it rather than lazily typing the end. Because I think I'm with Georgia. The the film ends, and then we go, well, the film, the story ends. Then we go back to Ewan McGregor, who tells us, and everything was okay. The end, and we go. That's really quick. I know Star Wars is literally banging on the doors to steal you and away. But can we get like like <laughs> sixty more minutes to film something better? Yeah. It feels
4: like it's that old trope of writing this brilliant story and not knowing how to end it, and going. And then I woke up, and it was all a dream. <laughs> like it feels very much Love like was
2: that, there, and not a So. That is our take on Moulin Rouge. Uh, if you agreed, if you disagreed, uh, you can hit us up on the socials. Um, it's at Pod, both on Instagram and on the Twitter. And that just leaves us to talk about what we're going to do next week on Best Film Ever. And I thought to myself, folks, what's today? April the... As we record this, it's April the 26th, uh, which means that next Sunday is the 3rd of May, which means next Monday is May the 4th. And I thought May the 4th be with us. We are going to review the original 1977 film that I knew Liam as Star Wars. You can call it a new hope. All you want now. It was marketed under the name Star Wars. Wars. So that is what we are reviewing next week on best film ever. So, uh, Ellie has not seen any Star Wars before. That's so not true. Oh, that's not true. I
1: have seen this one. Oh,
2: you've seen this one. But okay. I
1: did fall asleep, and it's the only Star Wars film I've seen.
2: Okay. Liam, you I mean, you and I, I'm sure we've both seen Star Wars. I'm pretty sure about me. I'm sure you must have seen yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, many, many times. Georgia?
4: Um, I've seen the latest ones um, fully like in cinema and watched them all. I've seen most of the rest of them in bits, oh, okay. but not properly sat down to watch. So them. you don't think um, you've seen know, this one all the way I through? I don't think I've watched it all the way through. Well, no, I have, however, seen. I know all of the story of all of the back catalogue, but I couldn't like go through it. See
2: Here's it myself, what happens though. in this film versus that yeah, film. Yeah. Okay, absolutely. Yeah,
4: yeah. I know and, what happens, but not in what in what film. Yeah.
2: De- Debbie, you're 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 somewhat between myself and Liam and Georgia and Ellie. So <laughs> where does Star Wars fit in your knowledge base?
3: Um, I think I've seen most of it the sort of I think I remember the opening and bits and bobs, so I've seen bits and bobs but I don't think I've ever sat down and watched the whole entire film. Um, I'm much more of the music side. I know the music back to front, so I have a massive yeah. appreciation.
2: I love John Williams.. Oh, yes. So please join us next time on best film ever as we talk about Star Wars. I'm very excited about that. So for best film ever, I've been Ian and I've been Liam.
1: I've been Debbie. I've been Ellie. I've been Georgia. And
2: we hope you have found that our review of Moulin Rouge has been spectacular, spectacular. We'll see you next time.